Good afternoon and welcome to the January 10th, um, 2023 Lawrence City Commission meeting. We'll start this off with a few words from Sherry. Uh, Mayor, since we're doing the executive session, um, I think we'll read those um, when we come back because we'll have more people in attendance at the meeting, if that's okay with you. Yep, that will work for me. First item of order is an executive session. Do I have a motion? I'd move we recess in the executive session for approximately 30 minutes to discuss a personnel matter involving the city employee pursuant to the non-elected personnel matter exception, KSA 754319B1. Justification for the executive session is to protect employee privacy. The city commission will resume its regular meeting in the city commission room at approximately 532 after the executive session is concluded. Second. The first and the second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? It passes four to zero. So we're back and we have nothing to report. So we will reconvene our meeting at five forty-five. Okay. Okay. I think that's all I need to do. I don't know. Works for me. You guys ready? Mm -hmm. Good evening and welcome to the Lawrence City Commission meeting for July or J January 10th, 2023. We will begin. Um, Sherry has a few items she would like to, to address. Uh, thank you, Mayor, and good evening, everyone. Um, if you are attending this meeting via Zoom, please ensure you are muted and your video is off when you are not actively participating in the meeting. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. When you are participating, please unmute and turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat and all chats go directly to the meeting host. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. When the mayor calls for public comment, those attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. Those participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Participants will be called upon in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. Please state your name before speaking, and all comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. <clears throat> we'll begin our meeting with the approval of the agenda. The city reserves the right to amend. Uh, the city commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. I have a motion. In, yeah. Second. Um, have a first and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Do we have Commissioner Sellers? There she is. Hi. Passes five to zero. We're on to recognitions. We'll start with the proclamation of January 16th as Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Do we have anybody here to speak on that? Um. So this is my first in-person commission. You're great. You're doing fine. Yeah. Um, do you want me to speak first? Yes. Okay. Okay. 
Hi, um, I'm Frankie Haynes, and um, I'm the Diversity and Equity Coordinator at Lawrence Public Library. Uh, like I said, this is my first in-person commission meeting, so sorry if I'm <laughs> not looking in the right spot. <laughs> um, Glad to have you there. Okay, um, and I do have something short to read, um, so I'll just read that, and thank you. Um, thank you for the opportunity to accept this proclamation. Mm -hmm. I believe that Martin Luther King Jr. Day acts as a reminder to honor black history, not only during this time, but at all times. It's a reminder of who came before us and all the work they did so that I can be standing here right now speaking to all of you. Dr. King believed that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. We all can honor Dr. King's service as a civil rights leader by doing service in our own community. This year, Lawrence Public Library will be celebrating Martin Luther King Day with a number of activities taking place in our auditorium on January 16th. Uh, we, it'll start at 10.30 with a story time. We're going to be screening a documentary in the afternoon, and there will be free tacos generously donated by Taco Zone. Um, and at 2.30, Black Lawrence, which is a Black arts collective, will be doing a zine workshop and sharing some of their art. So please come by, and thank you very much. Thank you, Frankie. Okay, I'll go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas human trafficking, a modern form of slavery. Oh, it's wrong. Pardon me? I think you have the wrong one. Yeah, I think you have the oh, oh, yeah. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Clicked on the wrong one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll try this again. Uh, whereas the city of Lawrence recognizes that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. devoted his life to eliminating in, injustice, racism, and fear with peaceful protests, unity, and understanding with the faith that in the end, racial justice and harmony would prevail. And whereas Dr. King endured imprisonment, physical violence, and adversary, adversity by government officials as well as racist evildoers to achieve change that would alter the course of American history with his leadership and practice of nonviolence, which continues to inspire this nation and the world to reaffirm the importance of education and fairness as the foundation to end prejudice and discrimination. And whereas Dr. King devoted his life to the advancement of civil rights and public service. He believed in a nation of freedom and justice for all and challenged all citizens to help build a more perfect union and live up to the purpose and potential of America. And whereas we continue to commit ourselves to the dreams of Dr. King in this special year of commemoration, we engage in the, in, in the valuable activity of reserving a day towards that end and we recall the legacy that the Reverend Dr. King created and whereas it is remembered and the exceptional values expressed by Dr. King and his legacy as celebrated and recognized by national holidays and the building of monuments for him as a model of American patriotism. Therefore, I, Lisa Larson, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, do hereby uh, proclaim Monday, January 16th, 2023 as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Thank you. We'll go on to our second proclamation, which is the human um, tra human trafficking awareness month. Is there someone here to speak about that? Hi. Hi. Um, hello, my name is Adrian Nunez, and I am the mm -hmm. Associate um, Director of External Affairs at the Willow Domestic Violence Center. Um, first, I just want to say thank you so much to all the commissioners and Mayor Lisa Larson for your time and attention to this matter. 
The Willow has been serving survivors of human trafficking in Northeast Kansas since 2014. This has allowed us to connect with survivors and learn through our service to them. Due to misinformation and sensationalized uh, stories that we see in the media all the time, people often believe that human trafficking looks like someone being kidnapped or physically restrained or just anything that's with the use of physical violence. Um, although those scenarios occur, what our clients have told us um, their experience is often not physical. It's more an emotional and psychological abuse and restraint that they experience. Um, they feel like they've often been tricked or they've had their their vulnerabilities exploited by somebody. Trafficking doesn't um, always occur in trafficking rings. A trafficker can be anyone, um, a friend, a family member, uh, a, an intimate partner. In 2022, the Willow provided services to 19 survivors of human trafficking with services ranging from safe shelter to court advocacy and case management. We are honored to continue to serve these clients and will continue to combat human trafficking through our services and prevention work. The Willow is grateful for the support of our local governments as we closely work with law enforcement and other community partners to best prevent trafficking in our community and serve those who have suffered at the hands of abusers. Thank you. Thank you. I'll read the proclamation. Whereas human trafficking, a modern form of slavery, is one of the largest and fastest growing criminal industries in the world and is based on recruiting, harboring, and transporting people for the purpose of exploitation. And whereas sex trafficking and labor trafficking occur in Kansas and in both adults and children of any gender, socioeconomic status, age, race, sexual orientation, or geographic location can become victimized. And whereas human trafficking includes sexual, verbal, emotional, economic, and physical abuse and exploitation in all forms of abuse carrying long-term complex trauma implications. And whereas Kansas human trafficking laws define commercial exploitation of children, which does not require a show a showing of force, fraud, threat, or coercion, and references the existing statutory definition of human trafficking and aggravated human trafficking. And whereas the effects of human trafficking reach far beyond its victims and perpetrators, causing disrupt disruption in our schools, our places Places of work in neighborhoods, and whereas the city strives to become a place where human trafficking does not exist, where people have their basic needs met, opportunities are available to them, and where all people are treated fully, fully human, and worthy of a supportive community and freedom. Now, therefore, I, Lisa Larson, Mayor of City of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim the month of January 2023 as Human Trafficking Awareness Month and urges the citizens of Lawrence to speak out against sex and labor trafficking and exploitation, to support survivors of these heinous crimes and to encourage community leaders to hold offenders accountable and to make preventable, e preventable efforts a priority by hosting events, by creating policies at work, school, and home, and by supporting and participating in programs designed to reduce and eventually eliminate human trafficking as a social problem. As a community, we will commit to creating and, and executing a comprehensive, collaborative, and trauma-informed response for the safety and security of human trafficking survivors. All right, the next item is to recognize Diane Stoddard, our assistant city manager, for her service to our community. 
Mayor, commissioners, thank you very much for letting me take a few minutes here to uh, celebrate and thank Diane Stoddard, uh, Assistant City Manager. Um, I'm going to make a few comments here, but her impact on this community um, is um, the magnitude is is uh, astounding. Um, she is a hometown girl and um, started her service actually in high school. Uh, an LHS um, high school youth and government person sat up here on this dais and uh, started her service career. Um, went on to public service and city management. Um, she's for our community and her 15 years of service here um, has been both a formal and informal um, leader. And um, she's uh, made her mark in economic development in a number of ways, most impressively and most um, uh, recently, the Catalyst Program that has continued to grow our economy here and is probably the leading uh, impact in economic development was, was the program that she brought to us and shepherded. Um, she worked uh, diligently with our labor groups to develop a lot of the labor, um, the negotiations that we have and built um, a strong relationship with those groups. Um, she is dedicated both in her heart and professionally to historic preservation, especially here in, in this community, her, her hometown, um, has guided arts and culture and built programs um, and continues to maintain programs that continue to uh, grow that important part of Lawrence. Um, she's helped plan all of the facilities that we enjoy and the ones that we will enjoy in the future. Those are parts of her dedication. Um, most notably, she um, uh, caught a lot of visibility for uh, walking every neighborhood in this community, covering over 300 miles, and helped to tell the story of all the neighborhoods that were, um, were out there. Um, she's a mentor, an ethical and trusted um, person in our organization, and um, she's also been recognized uh, in Kansas as a president of the KACM and an ICMA vice president, which she currently serves. Um, I could go on and on and on, um, but there's uh, such an impact that she's made uh, personally and professionally in this community. And we wish her all the best in her continued journey as a Leewood City Administrator and know that she'll do great things. So thank you, Diane. You will be missed. <laughs> on to public comment. The public is allowed to speak on issues or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Comments should be limited to issues and items germane to the business of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decision, decisions on items presented during this time. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Do we have any general public comment? Thank you. I'm Kirk Devine, 1929 New Hampshire, longtime Lawrence resident. Um, I just wanted to speak for a moment 
I attended the LPRD advisory board hearings last night. I've been involved with my recreational community quite a bit in the last month and a half as the run-up to FIFA play has been considered in our community. Um, the result of the meeting appears to be that there will be um, some communication back and forth between LPRD and the commission. Uh, my understanding of it was the commission was tasked LPRD to come up with some ideas as to how to address the shortfall funds within the recreational community. Uh, it's, uh, I guess I'm here basically to try to register as strongly as possible the, uh, the antagonistic attitude that the recreational public has for fee for play. It was ramped out very quickly as a very quick uh, attempt to kind of band-aid the situation. We don't have complete information as to the shortfall funding. Uh, there were some presentations made. We have some ideas about it as to how big it is, some of the nuances of it. But really the nuances are not very clear because we have um, a very short, uh, not very detailed presentation coming back to the public about why this is occurring. It's a special situation, at least I believe, and there's a lot of people I think that do believe the same, uh, particularly uh, revolves around SPL and the promise uh, that was made to uh, the voting public that uh, recreation would be without fees at SPL. I think that's a big part of it. It's much, much bigger than that in terms of how the perceived shortfall has been managed the last three years since COVID. Uh, very little detailed information related to that has come forward to the public. I'll give the uh, advisory board a lot of credit for listening pretty carefully to the substance of those objections and a lot more. There were also some pretty enlightened ideas about how revenues could be increased without increasing fees and going for fee-for-play options. Uh, so the advisory board was somewhat split, if I understand right. I didn't stay for the very last Time. vote. Thank you, Kurt. Appreciate okay. it. Thank you. Can I just say it would be really behoove the public Kurt, if the commission Kurt, would take this I need for you to step agenda. back. Thank you. That's really what I should have said at the beginning. Hey. All right. According to the newspaper, you got $6 million extra dollars. Why don't you help the guy out? Not that hard, but you guys don't care. Brad Williams, decertified. You guys all knew. Every fucking one of you knew. And to hell with the city attorney's office. Because when we came out and tried to call out his behavior and call out his bullshit that was going on on the street, we got investigated. We got called stalkers and harassers because we utilized our First Amendment to come out and say no more. The citizens were done with that bullshit. What these people do, they fucking investigated us and helped the police do it. Maria Garcia helped the police do it. 
Megan Rubio investigated a bullshit child protective services complaint. How fucking low can you go? Your officer is gone. Don't even think about interrupting me, Mayor. This is my time. It's my three minutes. How low can you guys go? He beat the shit out of Duck Tran and he's suing your asses for $3 million. You got another guy on the street that beats the shit out of people, shoves fingers into their neck using a pressure point for 14 solid seconds with not a single directive to comply with anything. Leaves visible marks and bruises, but you guys don't give a shit. You continue to let them do it. You let Rich Lockhart bring in bullshit reports to the CPRB. You let the police have control of the CPRB. Fuck the whole system. Because you guys are letting officers beat up your citizens and mistreat your citizens. And it's happening month after month after month after month. May 5th, 2021. The kid downtown that had his knees, had Daubert's knees shoved in his back that he'd been complaining about for several minutes and the officers acknowledged it. And not a one of them stopped him. August 29th, 2021. Officers show up and stalk around a house with flashlights. Don't announce, beat on a door. And as soon as somebody comes to the door asking what's going on, they start screaming at him and throw him off his fucking porch. May 1st of this year. The victim of domestic violence, the person that was actually the only one with marks, arrested for utilizing his First Amendment, calling your cops exactly what they are, coward-ass bitches. <clears throat> and then they assault him, and the chief exonerates it. And then he lies about the fucking reports. Bye, Michael, you're the police didn't Michael. even report the violence. They did not put it in their reports. Why? Officer, please have him removed from the building, please. You can't have me removed from the building. You can try that a little more, but you can't have me removed the, from the building, and he knows it. Any other general public comment? Hi, this is Chris Flowers, and I would just like to make some comments from uh, about last week. Um, also, I'd like to, um, I guess, thank Commissioner Sellers for um, questioning the the mayor's appointment last week, and also not just for that, but when we had the election for the new mayor and vice mayor for at least being willing to challenge how we do things. And I say that because when it came up about um, last week's mayor appointment, I I, I'm sorry, I, I should have came better prepared for this, but I believe um, Commissioner Shipley was saying something along the line of when it comes to appointments, we just accept what the mayor 
who the mayor um, appoints. I mean, not just local, but at state and federal levels that there's unqualified people being appointed for stuff. And that's just the way it is. And when when I heard that, it just made me think, well, that's not the way it should be. And and if there's something going on in politics where we say, well, that's just the way it is, we shouldn't be accepting that and we should be challenging the way it is. And just when the about last week's um, mayor appointment, that just makes me I mean, that that should show how important well, I mean, I don't really know how important it is, but but when it comes to electing the mayor, that just given each person one year, I mean, that's not a, that that's not a wise decision because you're just you're not taking into account who's going to be doing the best job, and if you want for there to be scrutiny, I guess, over mayor appointments then you all should be electing who you want, to, who you think would be the best fit for the mayor. That's who you should be electing. And I, I think you should be scrutinizing mayor appointments. And when, when it also when it comes to mayor appointments that should have been scrutinized, I think um, former Mayor Shipley's appointments for the um, the the new board that's going to be looking over the other boards. I mean, that was her last um, meeting as a mayor, right? And that board hadn't, it hadn't even been 30 days. I mean, if, if that hadn't been her last week, would she have nominated those people? That's just, that's just something to think about. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you. Any other general public comment? In the audience, not will go on to Zoom. Any general public comments from the from Zoom? No, Mayor. All right, we'll move on to the next agenda item, the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and approved by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on these items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak on an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there any commissioners that would like to have an item pulled from the consent agenda? Mr. Sellers? All right, anybody from the audience would like to have anything pulled from the consent agenda? How about on Zoom? Anybody on Zoom? No, Mayor. All right. Then we'll um, ask for a motion. Move to approve the consent agenda. Second. And the first and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Commissioner Aye. Sellers? Aye. It passes five to zero. We'll move to the regular agenda item. Discuss policy options to reduce single-use plastic bags in the community, including a fee model, a band model, or an educational campaign, and provide policy direction to staff. Who's going to start this? Jessica. Good evening. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and Commissioners. I'm Kathy Richardson, the City of Lawrence Sustainability Director. And this week, I have more of a voice, and I'm feeling much better. 
So hopefully you can hear me okay. Um, I will be sharing some uh, slides, uh, Porter. Go ahead. Okay. So um, I will be providing a brief presentation uh, tonight and then open it up to Nancy Muma and Ben Sykes from the Sustainability Advisory Board for further information sharing. I do believe Nancy Muma is uh, there in the commission room and Ben Sykes will be joining us uh, via Zoom tonight. Um, after that, we will open it up uh, for questions and discussion. And um, I also wanted to mention that uh, Randy Larkin, the deputy city attorney who has um, helped on this topic is also um, here tonight to help answer any questions. So for uh, tonight's discussion, it's on policy options to reduce single-use plastic bags in the community, uh, including a model, uh, sorry, a fee model, a ban model, an educational campaign, or a combination of any of these, and to provide policy direction to city staff. That's what we're looking for. Um, what are our next steps? So um, tonight, I will briefly go over um, the topic uh, with some background and timeline, as well as some of the recommendations that have. Uh, been um, presented to the city commission. So this topic has been talked about for several years now, but I think most notably the awareness was increased uh, when a group of concerned elementary students from Kennedy Elementary made a presentation about the damaging effects of plastics to the city commission back in 2018. Shortly after, uh, the Sustainability Advisory Board voted to adopt the issue of single-use plastics as a priority, and they formed a subcommittee that uh, researched uh, the issue and uh, recommended policy changes. Upon review of the report of policy research uh, from the subcommittee, the Sustainability Advisory Board um, pushed that recommendation, which was to develop an ordinance which would impose a 16 cent uh, per bag uh, upon checkout fee. Um, this is to be applied to the single-use plastic bags, but also uh, single-use paper bags. And um, this recommendation was presented to the City Commission during a work session in August of 2019. I do want to uh, mention that while I'm not getting into all the details of their work, uh, the Sustainability Advisory Board did a lot of research on this topic and also um, uh, received some help from KU uh, with the research. And, you know, they um, their presentation during that work session went over, um, you know, environmental impacts, social impacts, the business impacts, and then the policy research that had been conducted. Um, and then um, during that work session, the City Commission had directed staff to explore the legal infrastructure and logistical implications of a band and or fee model. So um, the city staff uh, 
did present an update uh, in November of 2019, and uh, it was an update of the work that had been completed so far. So city staff had met to explore the feasibility of policy options and had researched uh, you know, a couple hundred uh, single-use plastic bag policies from across the country. And um, staff also concluded that the fee model ordinance um, would work um, here in Lawrence, and uh, we began uh, drafting that ordinance. So as staff worked on drafting that ordinance, which was not presented to city commission uh, because the work was kind of placed on hold while uh, preemptive legislation was introduced in the early 2020. Um, in the Kansas legislature, and that was uh, prohibiting municipalities from adopting or enforcing an ordinance, a resolution, or regulation that restricts taxes, prohibits, or regulates the use of containers such as like plastic straws and the bags, cups, containers, bottles, etc. So while this legislation did not pass, um, shortly after the pandemic um, also kept this topic on hold a bit longer. And in uh, 2022, at the beginning of 2022, we see the preemptive legislation introduced again, um, a lot of activity uh, with that, but was not successfully passed. Um, at that time, the city commission had asked for an update from the Sustainability Advisory Board on the single-use plastics and in July of last year, 2022, the Sustainability Advisory Board uh, presented a different recommendation than their original uh, recommendation to the City Commission. So instead of a fee model, the latest recommendation was to develop an ordinance which would ban single-use plastic bags. And uh, they did exclude uh, single-use paper bags. So that was not... Um, you know, their intention with the, the recommendation to, to ban uh, the paper bags, just the plastic uh, bags. So of the policy options, again, just going through, um, you know, there's three that are outlined in this presentation. Some communities do a combination of these. Um, I think that uh, for sure, you know, education, outreach, um, goes along with any uh, policy option um, that you want to uh, move forward with. Um, but um, there is also the option of just the education component alone. But the first one um, to mention is this ordinance that established establishes a per bag fee or the fee model. And again, this was the original recommendation from the Sustainability Advisory Board that was backed with a lot of research um, they had conducted. This one did include the single-use paper bags, um, and the idea behind using a, a per-bag fee is to change behavior in the community with the fee. As I mentioned, uh, city staff did uh, begin the drafting of an ordinance for this fee-based um, model, and it was put on hold. It definitely needs some more work, um, and the biggest kind of section um, in question that would need some work is the enforcement piece. And um, just for both a per bag fee or the ban, enforcement is going to be that section that needs uh, some work. 
So um, the other um, kind of eye opener when the city staff were working on the recommendation from SAB is that uh, we would not be able to collect the fee. So the fee would stay with the retailer or the store. Originally, the Sustainability Advisory Board had uh, recommended the fee uh, to be collected and used for covering the administrative costs for implementation of this policy, as well as for outreach and education and to support um, the low income um, families. But um, that was something that our city attorney's office uh, let us know um, was not a possibility. So the ordinance did, did not have us collecting the fee, but more like that the stores would, would keep that fee. The, the second policy option with the ordinance that um, places a ban on plastic bags. Um, again, the city commission could choose to add uh, paper bags uh, or just uh, keep the plastic bags um, as the new recommendation from the Sustainability Advisory Board. And like I mentioned, advisory board members are with us tonight who will also address and, and talk about um, this. So um, the, the draft ordinance that was presented within the Sustainability Advisory board, board update in July of 2019 was actually that ordinance that was originally drafted for the fee-based uh, by our city attorney's office and the Sustainability Advisory Board had edited that uh, draft ordinance um, to turn it into that ban that was presented to uh, the commission. But uh, certainly our city attorney's office would uh, need some time um, with that ordinance um, if the commission chooses to go with a ban. And like I mentioned before, the enforcement piece is the missing uh, work um, that has the most um, cost and administrative um, work uh, to, to uh, figure out. So at this time, the commission could pass an ordinance um, it, that would uh, be a fee-based or a ban, uh, but we continue to watch for po the possibility of preemptive legislation prohibiting us from doing so. Um, I, I, I don't know if anybody else has a latest, but I did see in the a news uh, source that the Kansas Chamber of Commerce held a media day last Friday, and they outlined their 2023 plan for the legislative session. And one of those items on there was supporting legislation prohibiting local governments from banning consumer merchandise and plastic containers. Um, that's all I've seen um, so far um, on that. And maybe somebody ha else has additional information um, for that. And then, like I mentioned, uh, this hasn't come as a formal recommendation to the commission, but certainly has been talked about even within the Sustainability Advisory Board of a community-wide educational campaign that would encourage the use of sustainable alternatives to plastic bags. Um, and, and this can, can be done um, you know, with the, the help of a, a marketing um, firm um, to, to uh, uh, you know, get the word out, get the educational piece um, to have people kind of change behavior um, on that um, based on the information that we would be sharing through the educational campaign. So that's always a possibility. And again, educational campaign comes with, with any action um, that the commission would want to choose as well. 
we uh, always talk about the items we bring up to the city commission in terms of our strategic plan. So uh, just a reminder, our environmental sustainability commitment is a deep respect for our place in relationship with the planet and environment. And I did want to note that currently there are no uh, key performance indicators that were prioritized that have a focus on waste reduction and pollution. Um, but uh, certainly this is something that the commission could uh, choose to prioritize. And again, um, just what the policy options, if any, um, should be pursued for further action or a combination of, of these. I've seen a community that has a ban on plastic bags and a per bag fee for paper bags. So that's an example of a combination. And of course, with the educational campaign. Uh, but um, as outlined here, ordinance that establishes a per bag fee, uh, ordinance that enacts a ban on plastic bags and the development of a community-wide educational campaign. Now, I'm going to stop sharing uh, so I can give Nancy the opportunity um, to speak. And she should be there in the room. Hi, Mayor and City Commissioners. Thank you for letting me speak about this. So I'm on the Sustainability Advisory Board, and um, I just want to talk a little bit about why we wanted to. As U.S. production of plastics has resulted in at least 232 million tons of CO2. That's about the same. Yeah, you might speak into the microphone. There you go. Should I start over? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Um, so thank you for letting me speak to here, here today. What I want to talk about is why we want to do this. So plastic production in the United States has, res has resulted in at least 232 million tons of CO2 each year since 2020. That's about the same as 116 average size coal power plants. That's a lot of CO2. In addition to the CO2, you've got toxins and catalysts that are involved in the production and these result in emissions that it, these are toxic. These are things like hexavalent uh, chromium that Lawrence's own Aaron Brockovich brought to light, things like PFAS. Both of these are very carcinogenic. And then there's endocrine disruptors, which have a huge impact on our hormone regulation, just mess it up. Okay. Um, Dale opinion poll found that in Kansas, 68% of the population believes climate change is going on now and they want CO2 to be regulated. Just in Douglas County, 77% of people acknowledge that climate change is happening now and are worried about it. 60% of folks in Douglas County want local municipalities like you guys to regulate and impact climate change. 69% think that local individuals in Douglas County should also play a role in reducing climate change. 
So reducing single-use plastic bags would address both of those things that would address the issue of wanting to have municipalities address climate change and individuals, okay? So 40% of all plastics produced in the United States are single-use plastics. So banning or putting a fee on single-use plastics will reduce production of single-use plastics and reduce climate change by reducing CO2 production. So hundreds of cities and municipalities across the U.S. regulate single-use plastics and single-use plastic bags. I think now is the time for Lawrence to regulate single-use plastic bags, not just educate, educate and regulate. Involve the citizens of Lawrence as the citizens of Douglas County have asked to happen. Okay. So the city, I think, has done a really good job of starting to address climate change in reducing its CO2 and its carbon footprint that's produced by the city itself. But I think now's the time to involve citizens, right? So if we could involve citizens by reducing single-use plastics, we'll reduce CO2 production, we'll reduce climate change. Now is the time to, to institute regulation, not just education, for single-use plastics. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. I also see Ben Sykes from the Sustainability Advisory Board. Ben, would you like to share any other information? Uh, yeah, Ben Sykes, I'm I think now the Vice Chair of the Sustainability Advisory Board, and I think both Kathy and Nancy did a fantastic job of outlining. Can you guys hear me okay? Yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> Excuse me, the significant research and debate and ultimately products that have been made through these recommendations. I want to touch on the research for just a second and how wide ranging the research was to produce these, including things like what constitutes a single use plastic bag, what millimeter thickness, uh, what this might be replaced by, what are the impacts of a ban versus fees uh, on the environment, on businesses and on our citizens in particularly. Uh, looking through the equity lens about how that might happen um, for bans versus fees. We also look carefully at the many existing models that are out there. There are plenty of places that have done these things before um, and what worked for um, cities that are our size and other places. And in fact, that was done multiple times over this three-year dance of the SAB um, figuring out uh, and responding to the changes in what we, we might do. Um, the ban that's being proposed is not radical, I would say. More than 150 cities and towns in the U.S. have banned single-use plastics. Uh, many more have considered them, but have failed oftentimes because of significant lobbying from the petroleum or the plastics industry. Uh, we've now had ample time for Lawrence citizens, I think, and community members to voice their opinions on this. There's been a comfortable and long-term conversation through the press and other places about what this might mean. Um, and the conversation was necessary, I think. Um, but I think now is the time to act, and that includes both regulation and education. So the proposed ban has a nine-month window to educate the public and to, to get everybody up to speed on what this looks like and what it would mean. And a wide-ranging educational campaign, uh, campaign sorry, is a core component of the ban that we've recommended. It's not a standalone option. We want that as a part of it. And I would just say that if you look at most of the public comments that have been um, submitted tonight, Almost all of those are in favor uh, of the ban. So that's all I have. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. 
Anything else, Kathy? That concludes just our presentation and um, thoughts and just opening it up to questions and discussion. Okay, thank you. Everybody here, uh, questions for staff? I would ask Kathy a question um, or anyone. Um, I, I guess I was making an assumption in my mind over these many years that we've been discussing this, which is that paper bags can be recycled. So I, in my mind, I put them in a different category than one use plastics. Um, and, and Kathy, I know you have a great deal of experience with our um, recycling center. So maybe you could make me feel better or make me feel worse about recycling paper bags and whether we should put that in maybe in a different category or keep or keep the former recommendation to 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 charge for paper bags you're correct in saying that uh, paper bags are recyclable and there's more recycling going on of those uh, versus the plastic bags uh, but um, the research that the sustainability advisory board uh, presented back in 2019 included uh, paper bags because of the impact of making the bags. So the number of trees, and I know they had a lot of data um, to present on the, the trees that are um, taken down to produce the, the paper bags. And then also there, um, the paper bags take more energy uh, to create uh, than the plastic bags. And there was a lot of research on that too. Um, I believe they had a, a slide on it, and I don't know off the top of my head uh, the details, but I do know it's the energy of production and the resource um, to to make the bags. Um, but you're right in the, the fact that they're um, heavily recycled. Any other questions? Uh, yeah, it's a. Uh... Uh, thank you for this presentation, uh, by the way. And uh, Kathy, I had a question regarding the enforcement part of it. Um, it looks like that was a bit of a hang up. Uh, is that something that, you know, if we were to proceed on either road down here, uh, that would be, you know, something that could be accomplished? Absolutely. So the conversations that I've had with Randy and Randy, please chime in here, um, uh, have uh, involved uh, that we could go either way with the fee based or the ban. Um, either way, uh, the ordinance uh, needs a lot of work still, and we need to figure out the enforcement piece. But just uh, for you all to to understand that the enforcement um, piece of this uh, implementation of this policy um, is going to be, you know, take a lot of staff time. Um, you know, I, I I think that if you want to prioritize this, um, you know, this work and this uh, van or fee uh, model, um, it can be done. Um, Randy, do you want to add to it? I really don't have anything to add. She stated it perfectly. <laughs> so where would the enforcement fall? What department would it be under codes with Brian? That would have to be a decision that we would make as we craft the, the enforcement procedure. We'd have to figure out who or what department would be involved in that and whether or not there would be additional staffing or additional budgetary needs to do that. And then we could go from there. So that, that hasn't been decided yet where it would be done, but that is a place that could be placed with. Anybody has a question? 
Hmm? Amber. 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 Commissioner Sellers. Thank you. Um, I have a couple of questions for members of the advisory board and or Kathy and Kathy. You sound wonderful this week, so hope. <laughs> what a difference a week makes, I tell you. Um, on the enforcement piece, because I went back and looked at the presentation from 2019. Um, we said the ordinance needs a lot of work, which um, that's one piece that we can talk about in discussion. But I didn't see where there was any high level discussion around funding for the enforcement. And I'm going to piggyback that with the conversation around the fee. And so, and so first start with the enforcement piece. If the idea was, I think I heard you say that it, that legal said that we couldn't collect the fee that was recommended. And my question is, did the did the board talk about high level what they how they expected the city to fund the enforcement side of it? I can jump in just um, to reiterate the information about the fee. The Sustainability Advisory Board's recommendation back in 2019, um, they were counting on that, that fee collected by the city to support the administrative work on implementation um, and enforcement and the educational component of, of the work for, for this. Um, I'll let Ben or Nancy speak on maybe more recent conversations as to how that would be funded. Yeah, I can't see if Nancy's stepping to the podium. She certainly could speak to it. Um, uh, I think that we did have some discussions about how that enforcement piece would go and the idea as well, um, Commissioner Sellers, that that would probably peak and then taper off quite a bit as those as that just became a background thing that those are are band wide. It's it would be unlikely, but I do think that it's an important point of how how that would be financed and. Yeah, the original model with the bag fee is as Kathy laid out and as you did as well, that that was an important piece, both for an ongoing educational campaign campaign, as well as for the administration of it early. But that is another thing as well that has to constantly be taken care of, right? If you have a fee right. for it, you have to constantly carry that forward and do all the budgeting and administration of that, whereas a ban does have a significant administrative fee to start with, but then a, at least ostensibly that would go down over time and that would just be the case here right yeah. again i can't see nancy she she led the subcommittee might be able to speak better to it. nancy did you want to step up he's coming ben yeah i think the idea was that the fee was not was, was considered a tax and so it couldn't be collected and used for administering this um as Ben said, initially there would be some cost for the education, but that would, would go down significantly as people became more used to the fees or the ban. Um, there would be lower costs in the future. Okay, thank you. Thank you. So then my question would be to staff specifically the legal. If there's other communities who collect it, is it state statute that triggers it that it'll be a tax? Therefore, we can't collect it or what? Because I just looked up five different municipalities in our region that does it and 10% stays with the business to cover the cost of bags that they have period and then the other goes is directed to the city so where did we get that if we have the fee option 
I'm not aware of any in Kansas that can charge it. Uh, we're prohibited by state law from doing an excise tax. And if we charged a fee for the plastic bags for the use of them and we collected the funds, then it becomes an excise tax. And that, that would be, that's the problem with doing that. Um, I assume that those within the region are in other states and they probably have different laws. I know Boulder, Colorado, for example, has a fee and they collect it and that goes towards the city of Boulder, but we're unable to do that based upon the way the tax laws are written in Kansas. So that's what I wanted to hear. So there was pre, there's preemption by state statute of tax yes. laws that pre prevent us from doing that. But you may have brought up a cheat code and I'm not gonna bring up on record <laughs> on state preemption on this. So I'll leave that to myself. Um, but thank you. That that answers that answers that question for me. Um, the other question I had was um, well it was in regards to the fee, which we already know we kind of sort of can't do because it's an excise. So the fee if the idea was to go with a fee uh, policy option you were saying that the fee would stay with the business, then what would be the anticipation if that was an option? Are you just hoping on good faith that businesses would do what with those funds? Or is this why you're offering your recommendation? I don't wanna, it sounds like you're kind of, you put us in a little bit of a hole here. So I'll pause on that one, cause that's a discussion and we're not in discussion yet. My question is, um, when you were doing conversations in 2019 and up until this point, did you target any type of um, public engagement with specific marginalized groups, such as um, seniors, elders? Um, did you talk to legal women voters, NAACP, um, WIC? So these are populations that may disproportionately utilize plastic goods. So in the conversation around putting this together, I know that the, the advisory board did that work, but what background work from the community was done by the advisory board to understand the impact of this locally on this on marginalized groups? Nancy. So I'd like to address that question. Um, we met with um, local grocery uh, vendors in the area to see what they would prefer, to see what their input was. And they were saying that they preferred a ban over a fee um, because of the accountability issues of collecting the fees. Yeah. And um, are asking them to account for how many uh, plastic bags they charged for so that we would have the feedback to know what it was. Now, um, several groups um, in the area such as Sierra Club have donated a thousand reusable bags to Just Foods for low income people and to the Senior Resource Center for seniors. So those um, plastic bags or reusable bags are available to low income people. We didn't meet particularly with low income individuals or people who have, would have difficulty, but I know that thousand bags have been donated for their use. So from a coalition's standpoint, what other groups outside of Sierra Club have you directly engaged with to build that education and advocacy piece um, and understanding around environmental sustainability, environmental justice, and the impact of plastic bags, you know, 
did you do a presentation with NOACP? Did you do presentation with other organizations, schools, or was this just research and some of those high-level groups that you already know are, who are on board? I just so, so what we wanted to do was to include in this policy, in this ordinance, those sorts of outreaches. That's what the education piece for the first, I believe, nine months was um, supposed to do, was to reach out to these communities to educate them and um, avail them of the resources that they would need to follow these policies. So we didn't reach out ahead of time. We have talked to numerous um, groups within Lawrence, such as Lettuce and uh, Sustainability Action Network, as I said, Sierra Club. So numerous groups within the community have been um, discussing these issues. And the idea would be educating um, the community for somewhat like nine months ahead of time reaching out to these communities that, that would um, we would want to talk to. Okay, so it sounds like to me that you want to build the education and engagement piece into the ordinance, but there is no strategy to build up to that. So, so the idea was that we would include the education within the ordinance, and that's the way it's written um, for the ban that was presented in July. Is that what you're asking? Kind of, sort of, but not really. So then the education piece, who do you envision being the strategy for that? So tell me about the education piece. What is your strategy around that? So what the idea... That, what does that playbook look like? Well, one of the things that, that the Sustainability Advisory Board has talked about is the uh, goal in the strategic plan to, to have numerous presentations and outreach to the community about uh, climate change, and this would be a big piece of it. So things like the Earth Day um, that we do every year, except during COVID, um, and uh, reach out through uh, communication pieces, um, such as the city... Um, Kathy, can you help me? What was what's the city outreach? The flame. Flame. The flame. Thank you. Yeah. Which should be called the Phoenix, in my opinion. But um. okay. So those are some of the things that we had discussed, but it really does need to be fleshed out. Okay. So as it currently stands, there is no documented plan for what that engagement is going to look like if we approve some. If something was, if an ordinance was approved, do you have, you don't have anything right now that shows what your strategies are in the engagement piece, who you plan to engage, high level, how you think you're going to do it, presentation, events, so, so on and so forth. We don't have that, but that is certainly something that the Sustainability Advisory Board would be happy to work on. Okay. I do also want to add, um, if I can, just to help a little bit here at least on the staff's perspective. Uh, when I read through the update that was provided in November of 2019, uh, the, the city staff had gone, you know, through the, with the recommendation of the Sustainability Advisory Board, done some more research. And in it, it outlined uh, that the staff uh, was with the Sustainability Advisory Board was gonna start engaging in listening sessions um, in order to hear from stakeholders who may be impacted by the proposed policy. So this is at the end of 2019 where there was plans uh, to implement these listening sessions at the beginning of 2020. So we would do that 
And then it seemed like the draft of the ordinance that was being worked on would then be presented with the information collected from the listening sessions. Again, the work was placed on hold um, at the beginning of 2020 because of the preemptive legislation that occurred. But I, I did look back in the notes um, from the uh, former director and it seemed like there were plans to engage uh, stakeholders who would be impacted. Yeah, this has just been Sykes, if I could just add, you know, we did talk to a number of people that uh, that volunteer and that work with some of these groups, including Just Food, including shelters and things like that. You're absolutely right, um, Commissioner Sellers, that we haven't had targeted outreach to organized groups that would represent those people. And I think that that's valuable. And I think we should do that. I think I have questions about whether or not that would be something for the SAB to do or whether or not it would be something for city staff to do once something was passed that we were going to do this ban, um, which side of that that comes on. And um, I think the other part of that is, yeah, yeah, what what the order of operations here is like, do we do we have um, we've had more than three years of discussion about what plastics are doing and what we can do on the regulation side for it for individuals across our community, right? So um, but you're right that we didn't, the sustainability advisory, the volunteer board didn't go out and, and meet with these individual groups, a huge number of them, but we have had ample time and more than a year now on this ban element to have discussions in our community about it. And Ben, I, do, I don't disagree with that. I, this is not a discussion, this is a question. I will say, I, to answer your question, it's collaborative. So I think it's a little bit of, it's both. We have the resources and the staff, but I think it's it's a balance of both because you represent that group. So you all are the subject matter experts utilizing the resources to drive that message. May I, I have no other questions at this time. Any other questions for staff? Just kind of a follow-up. One of the things that was mentioned there was pairing this sum up, some with the climate action plan and some of the, Book we're going to be doing an education there. What is the timeline? I know we're working and I know there's a meeting tonight, I think, on some, some parts of the climate action plan, but what's the plan? What's kind of timeline that and how do you see those two matching up? Kathy? Yeah, the, the climate action plan currently uh, this month are the final uh, focus group uh, meetings, listening sessions that are occurring. And you're right, there's one tonight. Um, and then after this month, and we've, you know, the, the Douglas County staff is uh, leading this effort, but they've collected all the data from the surveys, uh, from the additional outreach that was done um, through uh, the, you know, Sunrise Project and uh, these listening uh, sessions from the focus groups. Uh, the draft of the Climate Action Plan is going to begin um, next month. And uh, there is a steering committee that's been meeting uh, monthly. I think they're the the one this month uh, that meeting got canceled because of the focus groups. Uh, but they're meeting monthly, um, as well as a staff a staff group uh, from the cities um, and the county. Um, and uh, we hope to this spring have a draft and then move forward with some implementation here pretty soon this year. Thank you. Um, just as a follow-up to that, uh, what was the community engagement piece? How long did that take for the climate action plan? I'm just curious. Oh my, it's uh, been going on for quite a while. Sorry, um, 
pandemic and COVID it got right. um, in the middle of, of both of these topics that we're uh, discussing. So um, it did start a while ago, uh, but uh, 2020 was supposed to be the year of uh, the full-on community engagement, and that did not work out. Um, so by the end of 2021 is when the uh, survey had gone out and um, the county and the city had contracted um, with these groups uh, for uh, reaching out to the voices that are um, not always heard. Uh, so there was a, a group uh, that was uh, reaching out and collecting stories uh, all through the fall of 2021. And in the spring of 2022 is when the summary uh, was completed, as well as uh, KU students were hired for analyzing the survey data, which showed gaps in um, the Douglas County as a whole and who had uh, responded to the, the survey. So uh, that is why uh, very quickly was put into motion to create these focus groups of which are identified areas uh, that are missing, the voices that are still missing uh, from the engagement for the climate action plan. So, uh, you know, we're going on uh, two years here, it seems like, of uh, that community engagement in, in different formats. Okay. No, no, thank you for that. I was just curious, it, you know, kind of, I know the pandemic fell in between that, the lessons learned that we can apply to potentially a single use plastic, uh, what, whatever we decide here today. Um, and because uh, the nine month part of it kind of sounded a bit optimistic to me <laughs> in terms of a community engagement and education. So um, I was just curious. Any other questions for staff? And we'll open it up for public comment on this item. Any public comment from the audience? Thank you, commissioners. My name's Terry Wilkie. I'm a happy resident of Lawrence, Kansas. I first brought this to the Sustainability Advisory Board in 2011. Eileen Horn was the head of the Sustainability Advisory Board, and they kicked it around for a period of over a year, and then it was uh, determined not to continue it. It wasn't of, of priority. I think that was their language exactly. And then I took a year off. I was employed at the time. And in 2016, I went back to the Sustainability Advisory Board again. And I have also been on record as addressing the City Commission. Perhaps you all remember that headline where I said, we all have pl plastic is everywhere. Plastic is in our water. It's in our streets. It's in our yards. If you slaughter an animal, you're going to find a plastic bag in there. Uh, it's scientifically proved that everyone has got plastic in their blood. All of us do. Now then, I have refined that thought to see the importance as well is that I understand that the exploitation of the environment with fracking and drilling, they make a lot of oil. There was a big oil pipeline that just broke here in Kansas. And that oil is being used to make plastic bags because they can only sell so much oil. 
and make a profit. They want to make huge. And so they use it to make plastic bags. And that's why there is a public sentiment in support of plastic bags. All right. You might be surprised, but I was born before plastic bags were invented and we were all surviving just fine. I remember when they came on, we didn't even know the ramifications of this. I always am surprised to hear the city concerned about uh, collecting a fee because the city of Lawrence collects two cents on every sales tax dollar for parks and rec. And I have never understood why then collecting money on plastic bags is any kind of a, a problem. The purpose of the ordinance is to educate people. It won't take everyone long to figure out to bring their own plastic bag. It's an easy thing to do. Finally, I brought a document that I'm a member of the Sustainability Advisory Board, and we have an online petition that's got over 298 signatures of Lawrence citizens that would like to see city ordinance restricting the use of plastic bags. Thank you. Okay. Other public comment on this item? <coughs> Good evening. I'm, I'm Joe Douglas. Um, I'm a longtime resident of Lawrence. As a retired physician and as a uh, still practicing grandfather, I, I'm particularly concerned with, uh, with one of the uh, possible deleterious effects of uh, plastics, and, and that is the health effects. I, I think the verdict still is out on many of the compounds that plastics exposes to. Um, but there are strong suggestions of adverse effects on various body systems. Um, but there is little definitive proof. We, we do know that, that some specific chemicals clearly are harmful. Biphenyl A or BPA um, clearly is an endocrine disruptor and, and the APA, EPA ordered that uh, taken out of plastics that are used in uh, food and water. But plastics, as has been said, are, are ubiquitous. Um, there are a zillion kinds of plastic and, and it deteriorates into tiny particles, microplastics, nanoparticles, they're called. And the, these plastics are in our bodies, uh, as we, we heard. They're in our food. They're in the air. They're in the water. They're in the bodies of newborn infants. Uh, they are everywhere. And one thing we do know for sure, and that is in the eons of human evolution, nothing in our history has prepared our physiology to deal with plastic. Uh, plastic bags, by their very nature, degrade more readily than, than other types of plastic. Um, in the production of shopping bags, chemicals are added. Uh, to increase strength and flexibility. The most common type of these is known to cause reproductive animal uh, abnormalities in animals, and there's no reason to think it wouldn't do that in, in humans. Uh, there was a re uh, study reported last fall in the journal Human Reproduction Update, um, which studied several hundred um, uh, peer-reviewed studies on, on sperm counts, uh, and these are from all around the world, and they found that uh, there is a worldwide decline in sperm counts roughly over the last 50 years, and this is accelerating. And this is thought to be due to environmental contaminants, uh, including uh, the residue of plastics. 
So I guess my point is that we're being exposed to uh, being inundated with plastic. We're all subjects in, in a worldwide um, experiment to see what this stuff does to us. And I think we need to take every chance we have to get rid of plastic use. And I, I know there's an easy alternative to plastic uh, shopping bags. Time. I haven't used one in a long time. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Other public comment, Michael? Hi, I'm Michael Allman with Sustainability Action Network. Um, I had written in this that Sustainability Action Network had initiated this in 2015, but Terry Wilkie corrected me. 2011, she made her first attempt. 2015 was the second attempt. Um, so the Sustainability Advisory Board, they did their due diligence. They got this KU master's class to do research for them. They brought a proposal to you. It's been discussed at length. Uh, it's time now to ban single-use plastic bags. This proposal is straightforward. It's understandable and it's common, common, um, commonplace. If you have availed yourself to the 11 pages of plastic bag resources that we've provided in public comment, um, you will know the magnitude of the problem. An education campaign is a necessary component of an ordinance, but by itself, it will not mitigate climate disruption in any meaningful time frame. Plastics are fossil fuel. And remember, the City Commission has committed Lawrence to wean ourselves from fossil fuels by 2035. If there is any one number to remember in those 11 pages of resources, it's 38 million barrels of automobile gas produced globally per day, per day. As all the world auto manufacturers transition to 100% electric vehicles by 2035, how will petroleum companies address their loss of those 38 million barrels of gas per day? Well, their plan B is to make plastics out of that oil. Now you understand the magnitude of the problem. And I hope no one here will try to say that a plastic bag ban will inordinately impact low-income people. Climate disruption impoverishes us all, especially low-income folks. Climate, uh, in many ways, inflation from billions of dollars of disaster damage, rising insurance premiums, crop losses, and rising food prices, rising energy costs. And then think of the plastic bags that jam our sewage treatment plant that cost our city more money. There's all kinds of ways that it costs more. So with a fair transition program within the ordinance, subsidies can eliminate the impact on low-income people. And I want to share this with you. This is a reusable bag. It's 30 years old. It's ripstop nylon like you make tents out of. I sold this at Simple Goods General Store downtown 30 years ago. You don't know how many thousands of uses this has been put to. Convenient, simple. Time. Thank you, Michael. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Any other general public comment or public comment on this item? Yes. Hi, my name's Nicole. Um, I was just going to comment on some of your comments. 
this was supposed to be about plastic bags, but then it turned into plastic is in our blood, newborn blood. All of those things are true, but we're going to have to get rid of a lot more than plastic bags if we're going to really Nicole, deal with that problem. Just discuss. Um, Thank you. You know, the coats people are wearing, the bags they're carrying, the masks they're wearing, these all have plastic and nanoparticles and the things that we're claiming these plastic bags have that are so dangerous. Um, my biggest thing is I don't understand how this is a priority right now for the city of Lawrence with everything that the city and country is dealing with. It just kind of shows how out of touch leaders are with what citizens are going through. Um, be good to know where this 16 cent fee, if a fee is decided upon, would go to. Sounds like it would go to paying people to enforce this ordinance. Um, just bringing paper bags into the conversation at all is kind of confusing. What's wrong with paper now? Um, why not promote the planting of more trees if the paper is also a problem that could help? you know, counteract any CO2 emissions that people are worried about. It sometimes seems like climate activists aren't really looking for solutions such as planting a lot more trees or looking for ways to place more control on the people. Um, who has decided that plastic bags are single use? I know I use or reuse plastic bags all the time. I have a bag of plastic bags and everyone in my family uses them for a lot of different things. Um, why pursue a program to find ways to, or why not pursue a program and find ways to increase recycling or reuse of plastic bags locally and not punish the public by charging them more of their hard-earned money when they're already dealing with uh, higher grocery bills and increase in property taxes, higher gas prices, two years of high inflation. There's a lot of people dealing with financial problems right now. Uh, the first preventer, presenter stated that the goal of the plastic bag ban would be to change the behavior of citizens. And it just seems like that's always what it comes down to for local and federal government. They become obsessed with finding ways to manipulate the people in order to change their behavior, and not just encouraging them to make responsible decisions themselves. Always seems to come back to control and power. And the second speaker said that um, the production of plastic bags emits CO2. Um, just seems to me like another climate change grift. Um, we've seen these types of things take place. Seattle, Los Angeles, New York City. Um, the activists encourage creation time. of more expensive. Nicole, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Other public comment on this item? Hi, this is Chris Flowers. Um, I, I'm okay with a ban on plastic bags. I mean, I think we'll learn to get used to it. Um, I've already have, I, I've switched to using paper bags. I have some reusable bags. I keep forgetting to bring them with me, but I'm, I mean, I, I have no problem with the paper bags. It's not that much harder than a few plastic ones. Um, also, when it comes I'm I'm okay with the ban, but I, I I think the city should maybe not make bans on some stuff, but just give recommendations. Like when it comes to other plastic stuff, like when it comes to straws, I think the city should issue a statement saying we encourage restaurants not to hand out straws unless the customer asks for it. And I'm just 
when because where I work, um, we hand out straws on deliveries. But if I mean, I I don't want to sometimes. I I think well, this is unnecessary. Why can't the the customer just drink it out of the cup? But I can't say anything. But I mean, if the city issued a response saying, "Hey, don't don't send out straws unless the customer asks," I would be a bad employee, and I would use that as my out to not give the customer straws. So that's what I'm asking you to do is. Think of other things that are bad for the environment that maybe there'd be too much outcry if we did a complete ban, but um, you could still encourage it to, re to reduce some of the effects just by, by encouraging. I guess it is um, educating the people about what behaviors we can take to um, for, a, for a better environment, I guess. And and I, I, I think I, I'll support a ban. I, I would also, I'd prefer a ban to a tax. Just, well, I guess it's not a tax, it's a fee. Just, I think that's going to be more complicated than, I mean, if it's a ban, well, at least you know what you can't do. But I mean, if it's a fee, you're going to have to be doing POS systems with that, the, the fee. And I don't know. I, 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 I think it'd be more likely to be successful if it's a ban than a fee. Just, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Other public comment for, on this item from the audience? Hi, Thad Holcomb with uh, representing Lettuce. Uh, you know, it's difficult to uh, get rid of a convenience addiction. I, uh, I'm addicted to convenience also, as we are in this society. And I've, I can't brag like Michael did. Mine on it is five years old, and uh, it's probably going to wear out uh, sometime. Uh, but uh, I basically tonight just want to share with you uh, uh, my interest in listening, uh, because I read all the letters that were sent to you and I've heard tonight. Uh, I'm also uh, on the Climate Action Plan, a representative there. I'm just sure a little vignette that I was present at a well-attended gathering at Haskell uh, with collecting a focus group, and they came up with the priorities on climate as water and the biodiversity issues. And certainly, uh, plastic ban addresses both of those uh, in a very positive way to get rid of them. And let us certainly was pledged in, and we continue to, if an educational program needs to happen, we would uh, very much uh, take the time and energy to spread that among the faith communities because it is an equal justice concern. And when we take seriously and we think it's not the answer to all, but it raises the question where we can discuss other aspects of the need to address climate plan. So thank you for consideration for uh, some action uh, on this ordinance. Thank you. Other public comment on this item from the audience? Hello, my name is Hank Warisco. Um, I think um, it is difficult for people to realize that when they go shopping, I mean, you know, they pick up a plastic bag, it's very convenient. How is that going to affect, you know, the world? I mean, am I, is my little piece going to actually damage everything? If, if everyone believed that, 
then things will get damaged, you know. It's, it's hard to imagine uh, climate change, our influence on climate change. For many years, many people still don't, don't believe that that's a reality. Although if you do the math on it, it, it really is. It can easily be, be proven that, that that's the effect. So I think it's time to act, to really uh, have a little bit of inconvenience. And um, I believe that a total ban would be the way to go rather than a, um, a 16 cents or whatever fee, because that won't eliminate anything, you know. And uh, it may be a little inconvenient. It may be a little out there in a sense in the beginning. But I think, um, you know, people will soon look at it as, as a new norm. And uh, it'll be a, an easy thing to do once once we get used to the transition. And I think the transition should happen. Uh, and uh, making decisive action is, is one way to really do it. And um, so I hope you, uh, you know, come to a good conclusion. And uh, thank you. Thanks, Hank. My name is uh, William Steele, and um, you know Ben Sykes is right. This is not a radical proposal. Uh, before I moved to Lawrence 16 years ago, I lived in uh, Eugene, Oregon, where they have a uh, a fee-based um, ordinance on plastic bags. I think at that time when I was living there, it was like five cents per bag. And I got in the habit, because of that fee, I got in the habit of um, using a single use bag like this, which I bought 16 years ago, just before I moved to Lawrence actually, I bought this reusable bag and I've been using it ever since. And I estimate that just with this single bag alone, I have saved about 2,500 uh, single-use plastic bags at the checkout because you know when you go to Dylan's they always give you too many bags right I could probably fill three bags that they give you at Dylan's in this single bag here so I've just just with this one bag I have saved 2,500 single-use plastic bags now if you multiply that by the number of residents that we have just in Lawrence Kansas alone it's like 250 million single-use plastic bags. Now, I don't know what the numbers are nationally. I'm sure Nancy probably has the figures, or even Michael would have those fingers off the top of their head, but it's a significant uh, number of bags, just, just you know, for what this one bag would, would um, remove from our environment. So I think this is not only something that's really uh, a, sim a symbolic, positive first step that we can take, but it's really, uh, it's very impactful in what this is going to do to, do to uh, reduce waste in our environment and uh, improve our health in general. So I urge uh, the council not just to put a fee on this, but to just to take the next step uh, and ban them outright because as Ben said, this is not a radical proposal. Many other communities have done this. And it's simply, I think at this point, it's beyond debate and it's the right thing to do for this community. Thank you. Thank you, William. Other public comment on this item from the audience? Hello, I'm Linda Winemaster. Um, I don't have that strong of an opinion on any, either way. I've lived in communities and recycled for nearly 40 years in Florida, and I like to save the environment. But what I don't like is 
people telling me what I have to do. I can, I'm a big girl. I can take care of myself. I can make choices on my own. And that's what we need to do, educate the population. I have reusable bags, but I don't think it's right to put an ordinance, especially with everything that's going on in this town. This town's falling apart. We don't need to be forced to do these things. And there are people that won't do them no matter what you do. Just wanted to say that, but yeah, we don't need a ban. We need education. Thank you, Linda. <clears throat> Other public comment from the audience? Let's go to Zoom. Ben Poff. Hey, thanks so much for uh, letting me uh, talk and thanks so much to the advisory board and everyone on the commission and all your hard work. Uh, I just want to say as a local business owner here in Lawrence, I think the, uh, the ban on plastic bags is a great idea. I think the 16 cent, um, the 16 cent uh, tax is just over, it's just complicating, overcomplicating a simple solution. Um, I would just push for an outright ban. I think the uh, Lawrence community is educated and able to deal with what small consequences they would face. Thank you so much. Margaret Kramer. Hi, I'm Margaret Kumar. And I would like to share a, a short story with you to begin with. <clears throat> when I began my professional life, if you want to cause total and complete disruption in your office, go early in the morning and rearrange everyone's desks. The point being that we get so paralyzed and so frightened of any change. I mean, we just fight change, it's, it's just in our nature to be fighting change. When you think about this logically, people are going to have nine months, I think the SAB recommended, to get used to the idea, simply bring another bag. You're not going to have the plastic anymore. And as for the argument that people cannot afford this, all you have to do is start saving, like some of the speakers have said tonight, start saving the plastic bags that you have now. This is not a financial burden. It's a very simple thing, a very simple change that we can make in our lifestyles. And yes, it is necessary. The earth, you know, needs us to pay attention now. Thank you. Don Hawkins. Hi, this is Dawn Hawkins. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, I just wanted to chime in and say that I support the full ban on plastic bags, and I hope that you finally pass this. Indeed, it's not enough. It's past time for us to ban all single-use plastics in our community and join the many municipalities across the country that have already done so. Um, I don't really support the fee-based plan as I think it's unwieldy and it should be up to stores to decide if, you know, if they want to offer non-plastic bags and whether or not they charge for them. Regarding the effect on the impoverished, um, I think this is not a concern at all. Um, I don't consider myself impoverished now, but I um, raised my two daughters as a poor single mom. Um, 
many poor folks shop at Aldi grocery store is one example because of their affordable prices um, where you have to pay for your bags or bring your own. And if you stand around very long, you find out that most people load up their, their groceries with bags that they bring or boxes that they find in the store. This is a simple, easy to implement model. Um, the idea of reaching out to groups or individuals to gather opinions is nice, but the fact is that there have been ample opportunities for voicing concerns in prior commission meetings, various board meetings, such as the Sustainability Advisory Board, for the literal years that this has been a public conversation here. The folks here today who are who you should be listening to and represent a vast array of economic status. Clearly, support of this ban is overwhelming. I feel it's time for this commission to stop wasting time and just get this done. We really, there's no time left to waste. Thank you. Kathleen Harnett. Okay. Um, you know, I believe that we vote for our city commissioners because we believe that they are going to make decisions based on what's best for the community. When I heard a mention about the recommendations of the Chamber of Commerce, I would like to make a statement that the Chamber of Commerce does not make recommendations that are based on the good of the community. So we need to keep that in our focus. They are not our commissioners. Um, even though there are many citizens that may be climate deniers, there's really no one that is a plastic pollution denier because it's all around us. It's undeniable, easy to see. Um, I sent a letter with some very specifics and I also wanted to remind everyone that Sustainability Action Network had a very simple petition on our little Facebook page that doesn't get all that much attention. And we had 298 signatures of people supporting banning single-use plastic bags. It's a place to begin. It's not the be-all end-all. But many communities have done this. This is not hard. And all we need to do is really make a plan and be committed to it. Uh, if we just want to look at the financial aspect, then think about the fact that ham recycling, uh, it costs a lot more for them to pay someone to reach into the trash and pull every bag out of it because those bags are not recyclable. They, at least not with our machinery here in Lawrence. Perhaps in New York City, they might have a way to do it, but not here in Lawrence. So uh, I believe that it's time. This is uh, time to fulfill the expectations of a very progressive, well-educated community. We've been talking about it for a long time and it's time to make a plan. Thank you. Jerry Metz. Jerry, you're on mute. Hello. You there. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks much. I haven't talked to the commission before. 
this is just, it's a crazy issue. I've got, I use like, you know, uh, bags. Um, then you got Cabela's bags. You're going you're gonna to ban Cabela's bags? You can carry like 60 pounds of something in, in the Cabela's bag. And every single one of my um, trash cans is designed for the for the, the the you know grocery bags. So you're gonna send me to Walmart and Amazon instead of using because I I reuse my Dylan's bags and then I put them in the trash and use them for my cat, you know. But you're going to send me to Dylan or, or Walmart and Amazon to buy a single-use bag? Is that what this is about? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Any other public comment or on this on Zoom? That's I believe that's all the comments, Mayor. Yes. Oh. Yes. One more. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, that name had spoken before. Yeah, sorry. Go yeah. right ahead. Yeah, I'm Tad Kramar, and I'm just asking to, to please ban single-use plastic bags now. This has been studied and discussed for years, and there's no reason for further delay. Plastic bags immense harm to the environment, climate change, wildlife, and aesthetics is well documented. A ban would avoid the collection and compliance issues imposing a fee and would be far more effective than educational efforts alone, which would have limited success at best. A ban would not harm the poor. Most people at Just Food already bring their own bags. With adequate lead time before the ban becomes effective, people have plenty of time to accumulate free bags for reuse. Also, a ban would actually benefit local merchants who would no longer need to incur the expense of providing plastic bags. Yes, Change takes some effort and leadership and is not the easy way out, but we must not let this paralyze us into inaction. Let's stop talking and make Lawrence a leader in achieving this highly beneficial change. Please ban single-use plastic bags now. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. Is that it? Public comment, Sherry, on Zoom? Yes, Mayor. All right, bring it back to the commission. I wanted to clear up a couple of things. Um, one thing that um, I think Terry Wilkie brought up, and I'll just need Randy for this. Uh, one of her questions about why a fee is oh, yeah. an issue. Um, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I, we'll I, wait for that. Thank you. Um, indeed, we we could have such a fee, but it would have to go to the voters. We as a commission or as an administrative in this circumstance, we could not levy such a fee as has been previously discussed unless it was a, an, an initiative. Am I correct there? Well, we have some ability to do sales tax and things like that, which is what we've done. And you could levy a sales tax to help pay for it. But otherwise, to put like a tax on plastic bags, which money would come to the city, or alcohol or cigarettes, which are your typical excise tax. The state has preempted us from doing that. So we can't put a tax or we can't receive the money for any fee for plastic bags without being a violation of state statute. Make sure. Thank you. 
Um, only a little clarification. I don't even know why I'm sticking my neck out to say this, but um, um, uh, Kathy, I did kind of just want to clarify for the public. It is the Kansas Chamber of Commerce that has taken that as an issue, not the Lawrence Chamber of Commerce. And let's all just remember that um, those are two different organizations and, and our, our, our local partners are fre frequently or occasionally at odds with what happens at the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. And this might be one of those spaces. So yeah. That's all I had for the moment. Okay. Anybody else want to pipe in here? Mary, I would Commissioner Sellers. Yeah. Commissioner Sellers. Um, I had a quick question for this is for anyone representing the, uh, the SAB. Do we know of all our food retailers here in town? How many of them offer incentives for? Um, individuals who bring their own bags, whether they're plastic or reusable or paper. So like the Hy-Vee's and Dillon's and Sprouts of the world, do we know of all our food retailers, how many provide incentives? Nancy's going to probably speak to that. <laughs> I don't know in general, but I know that both um, the Merck and Aldi do that. Sure. <laughs> but the SAB haven't, in your research or anything, you haven't identified food retailers that provide incentives for those who bring bags in? We did ask about that, uh, Commissioner Sellers, I believe, with the four food retailers that we met with, and only one of them, I think, was the Merck that was represented there that talked about doing that. Dillon's and Hy-Vee, I believe, and, and one other Sorry, I can't remember right now. Did okay. not at the time. Okay. And then it's discussion, but it's a question. In the work that you all have been doing and, and processing what a policy, what an ordinance would look like for the city, um, whether it's a ban or a fee, specifically in a ban, for those entities that do grocery pickup, would you provide, would there be guidance as to how those businesses would then change and pivot from grocery pickup or delivery like Instacart, where if you are homebound or by choice or even individuals who are WIC and TANF and EBT now have access to that, how would you see that pivot? Or how would you, if there's a ban, how would you expect those food, those retailers to pivot with that? Nancy's coming up to speak to that. <laughs> so, so we would be able to use paper bags or pa paper boxes to deliver food. So only the plastic bags would be banned in the ordinance, the latest ordinance that the SAB suggested. Okay, thank you. Anything else, Commissioner Sellers, on that? Um, no, I just, I'm ready for discussion when everybody else is. All right. So thoughts? Well, initially I would say um, I definitely don't like the fee idea, um, but I'd be open to um, definitely education along with ban. Um, uh, I would like, it seems like the opening of a conversation, what was presented to us, um, 
I would like to explore more detail into, you know, exactly what the ordinance would look like in terms of enforcement or any potential, you know, um, dialing down to exemptions or, you know, what would be included, what wouldn't be included. But um, that's probably for a later conversation, I guess. I guess they're just wanting which, what direction we initially want to go in. Okay. Any other thoughts? Commissioner Sellers, want to jump in? Oh God, I'm always trying to like tag team for me to come in. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I love the conversation uh, tonight. Um, I know I've shared with few kind of my thoughts on it, a more holistic thought on what this looks like. Um, I know we've heard in the past about fees, doing bag fees, and I've always said, if we do a fee, how do you plan to implement it? What is your goal for it and what is the strategy for it? And it's no different than with a ban or with education. I think education is always a component of either one of these, whether it's a fee or a ban. So to say outright education, education should be fluid through it all. So I don't, a policy around education, should, I should say a law around education, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a law, it should be policy. It should be good policy in anything that we implement that education is a component for it. So a policy standing alone based on education is a bad use of, of, of legislation, in my opinion. Um, so I'll put that there. Uh, we've heard what a fee would look like if we wanted to venture down that. Uh, down that path, adding that to a tax, or even if it, you know, when we're seeing fluctuations in our food sales tax would be kind of counterproductive. Um, and then state tax law preempts us on that. So, and the fact that we would have to look into enforcement and fee structures and all of that being in-house, I don't know if we're ready for something like that. Um, I like the thought of teasing out a ban and what that would look like, tightening up more of who would be impacted by this because I feel like food retailers is one big global piece. I think there's more further conversation that needs to be had about that, good, bad, or different. I'm not saying that's where I'm at. I think there's some there is definitely room for us to um, to lean towards a um, single use bag ban. What I would like to see from the SAB is what does that what is that strategy? What is that playbook for working with the city to engage, communicate on that? Because there is a huge environment there. This this is environmental sustainability, but it's also environmental justice. And I've heard several people tonight, you know, speak to this doesn't impact low-income people any more than any other people, but what I'm hearing is that low income is being defined as individuals who go to just food. Low income people are a lot of people. By HUD standard, I'm low income. Many of us that are on the on the commission are low income. So the face of low, you know, there's multiple diverse faces of low income. If we were to implement a fee, which I would be opposed to, that would disproportionately impact anyone that's receiving TANF, SNAP, or WIC because individuals that receive those, they don't pay tax. So if we were to tax or, or assess a fee, that would be a tax, which means that's money that they would have to come up with. That's why I would not support a bag fee. So if there's a ban, 
it still disproportionately impacts individuals who are on WIC, TANF, SNAP, or any other low-income marginalized group because none of those individuals spoke today. There was no one here from NAACP to speak. There was no one here from representing the, you know, WIC or those who may use SNAP benefits. So to say that that doesn't impact them, that's sitting from a place of privilege to say that, that I can't say that with certainty. That's why I asked for a playbook or a strategic plan, strategy, I don't have to be a plan, but strategies as to how to bring those groups up to understand because they are disproportionately impacted. That's what environmental justice is. Is this greatly impacts individuals in that capacity. So for us to say, I am something, I didn't experience that, you may not have experienced that, but that doesn't mean it is not, that it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist and that it does experience individuals because you have to understand the system of what that, where that is. So I, I think there's the, the education piece, which is, should be a through line regardless of a, of legislation or policy that's built, that's that, come, that an ordinance comes back to us and what that looks like. But I'm not opposed to what an ordinance, a single plastic ban ordinance would look like. And I think that's a path that I would be comfortable going with. I would be interested to know what that implementation would look like as it relates to grocery pickup, because that is a conversation you would need to have with retailers. That's a huge pivot. I don't mind getting my food in a box. If you order food online, it comes in a box. So. I'm not opposed to that. And I don't think retailers would have that much of a, a gripe about it. It might even be busy, great for them because I use several grocery pickup here. There's one particular retailer that I do grocery pickup. And yes, I scratch my brain every time I go and pick up my groceries because I have 50, 11 bags that they give me. I give them right back to them, but I'm still trying to figure out why my frozen vegetables have to go in one bag. They can go in the same bag as my grapes. I actually keep my grapes cold. I like my grapes to be cold. But anywho, um, I think a, for me, policy-wise, a ban would be the way to go. Definitely would like to see SAB do some work around what that education piece is ongoing because this is sustainability and we need to start intersecting it with justice. And that's how you get groups, your marginalized groups on board and you start educating them because we're making assumptions that they know because if they knew, they would be at the meetings. There's a lot of people who know things that don't come to our meetings or else... City Hall would be packed and there would be over 500 people on these, on us uh, watching us live, but that's not always the case. So we can't always assume that everyone is in the know and that we've done everything to make them in the know. We won't catch everybody, but we have to be intentional about addressing those who are disproportionately impacted because they are. Any other thoughts from folks? Okay, I'll go ahead. Okay, go ahead. I'll go All right, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I want to keep it simple. You know, this has been discussed for a long time, um, since early since I've been on the commission, and and I do uh, believe that it's time to go to initiate a, an ordinance on a ban on plastic bags. The idea of a fee, I think, complicates it way too much. Doesn't need to be. Um, just want to keep it clean and simple. And that this would be the ordinance that would be enforced like any of other codes or, or ordinances or laws um, in the same manner as that. 
I do like the idea of having an educational component run parallel as we move forward with um, the ordinance. Um, and the Sustainability Action Board has indicated that they are interested in pursuing that. And I think that would be a, a good way to provide um, and, um, or at least get feedback from from those other from folks in our community that this may that this would impact, not may, but it would impact, but at the same time move forward with developing an ordinance to do to do the ban. I mean, I guess I would say a couple things. I mean, I I certainly don't like the fee. I mean, that's, and the ban is, the, the ban would be better. I mean, I guess as with many things, I'm more concerned, you know, kind of with the, I mean, I, I don't think the ordinance as it exists today, you know, is ready. I think the, the, we need to understand the implementation, the education part of it. I have a real problem with the signage provision in this, you know, that requires people to post signs um, and, you know, the enforcement mechanism. So I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't, don't think we're ready to, I don't think the ordinance is ready to pass a ban tonight um, or to, to adopt this ordinance, which leads then to the question of, you know, sending it back to SAB to work on to bring those back, send it to staff to work on to bring it back, and how that cross-sections with the climate action plan. And when the climate action plan comes back to us, it has a list of priorities. Where does this fall on the list of priorities? And then how do we um, ask SAB and staff to prioritize the climate action plan at the same time as this going forward? Um, and so, you know, a lot of that's on us in the sense that it's, it's, it's floundered around. I mean, if we, if, you know, but, but now that we're coming up at the same time as the climate action plan and those priorities, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the whole, the whole timing of this. Um, but, you know, if, if SAB, you know, thinks this is the, is the high part, the highest priority of the things they're working on, you know, then, you know, I think they need to work on bringing us back one that has an education plan, work on the signage issue and, and work on the enforcement mechanism. Um, but I'm a little concerned that when it comes back to us, it will be the same time as the climate action plan, and we'll be looking at, you know, you're trying to prioritize those. So, but I could be wrong on that. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. But the ban is definitely better than the fee. So you would prefer that it go back to the SAB or an option? Because I'd prefer it just to go back to staff for to start writing up the ordinance and then work with the SAB on the education part. Well, I mean, again, the education part is one, you know, I think SAB at least, I mean, again, I don't know how s staff thinks about the required signage. I don't yeah, think I don't, it's legal. Yeah. And so the question is, do we, you know, do we ask for that to be looked at first by staff and then send it to SAB? Do we have SAB, you know, draft the plan again? I, I guess those are what I'm asking the question for. Well, maybe Randy has an opinion off, off the top of his head. I know you haven't, yes, you haven't asked. Yes, looking at that, we had issues regarding the signage and some of those things probably not being appropriate for an ordinance, but they would be, you know, perfectly fine in a regulation or administrative thing. So that's kind of the idea how we had thought about it, perhaps running with the education portion of it and the signage portion of it and that type of deal in a regulation that would run parallel with the ordinance, whereas the ordinance would simply just address the, the ban 
and the the enforcement procedures and, and, and go at it from that. That's kind of how staff was looking at it, but there are obviously other ways of doing it. I think that seems like a really straightforward way to do it. And then as far as the education component, which seems like there's some community partners here. And, and then of course, um, SABS uh, sort of expressed their interest in the education portion of it. Um, how do we um, aid them? Because it, it isn't normally, uh, what, not, not, not normally what we ask um, an advisory board to do. That's not normally their work. So how do we uh, empower them to do that work with our partners or do we send that or do we involve our engagement person or what do we do so that um, Kathy has what she needs to follow up on that. Um, that's kind of my, I agree on all those. Just want to make sure we've got the next step on the, the education component. Thoughts? Or is it just that we have them come up with the plan and come back to us? Like, you know, kind of because um, it doesn't seem like there's, to Commissioner Seller's point, there's not really a playbook regarding it. So that could be the first step. Come back and talk to us about that. Let, let sustainability look at that. Well, I guess my question would be, and maybe Ben could answer this. I know with human relations, I know that group has worked closely with legal and where they've done some pre-work and then they provide, pass it over to legal. Is this something that, do you feel like there's been enough information shared in previous discussion with legal that you feel comfortable with staff taking this over, having legal take a look at it and bring it back to the SAB to then give it the look through overview and then it comes to us? Um, yeah, I mean, Nancy should speak to this as well. I think what Commissioner Shipley brought up that this is, we are willing to, but this is beyond usually what an advisory board does is an important point. The other side is what you raised earlier, Commissioner Sellers, which this, this has to be collaborative. I mean, you guys have said specific points of elements in this that you want to see changed. But frankly, we could continue to take shots in the dark of what we think that looks like and send it back to you guys. And then you guys go, oh, that's not what we meant. Or here's some other things. Or that's not going to pass snuff with legal. So any, you know, to get this over home plate, this has to be a collaborative effort, maybe like what you outlined, where staff and legal takes it and tries to fix those things you guys have outlined and then brings it back to us if needed or brings it back to you guys. I mean, Certainly, we want to be engaged on the educational piece, but I, I'm not aware, for example, I was not aware of like how the signage, for example, could not be legal uh, like Commissioner uh, Finkel that I raised. So we don't we don't know what we don't know, right, almost. And so um, rather than us just continuing to take shots in the dark to fix it, how we thought you guys might want it, I think it has to be collaborative. Thank you, Ben. Um, Commissioner Sellers and Nancy would like to add on that with Ben. Quick. So when I said the SAB could work on it, I was suggesting to come up with some plans, not to implement those plans necessarily, but we could certainly come up with some suggestions for the education. Um, if you want us to, to do more than that, I think it's sort of beyond an advisory board, but I know there's individuals who would be happy to, to work on that. Okay. Thank you, Nancy. 
Well, then my point will still be that we need to make sure we follow up so that we give Kathy then what she needs to follow up on whatever those recommendations are, whatever our recommendations are, just because the ordinance goes through, we don't forget the education piece. Okay. So how do we want to move forward on this tonight? I guess my, my kind of question on all of that and maybe specifically, you know, to all the divisions, SAB, legal, and and then maybe Craig is overall with the city. I mean, what kind of timeline are we looking at and how does that affect like the climate plan in your case and other um, work we are doing in both these arenas and all, all our arenas? I don't know if who starts, but. <laughs> I, I would just uh, quickly mention the climate action plan. I, I don't think that um, there's really any conflict there. Uh, it seems like the two items will be running parallel for a little bit and um, maybe intersect. Uh, but really where I want to hear, who I would want to hear from is uh, Randy and the city attorney's office in terms of timeline uh, due to their workload. You, we are down an attorney at this time, but I, I believe we could have something back to you in March. I'm going to be out the third week in February, so that's kind of puts a little damper on that one as well. But we could do something by March. If, if so, would that be like a rough ordinance outline, or we'd have an ordinance, however you wanted us to do. We can have an ordinance ready for, to look at, and then you guys make changes to it as you saw fit, or you wanted us to run it by the SAB, have them look at it as well. We could do that. Um, you know, there's some things about you know they they were talked about a, a nine month period of time before the ordinance went into effect. So would there be an educational piece before the ordinance would go into effect or would the ordinance go into effect immediately? So there's some of those things we'll have to discuss. Okay. And there may be budget impacts um, on the enforcement that we wouldn't be able to, you know, make decisions on that that, that would have to be with the commission. Okay. So we could bring something back in March, but it probably um, wouldn't be like a first reading. Okay. Right scenario. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Does that sound reasonable, Commissioner yeah. Sellers? It does. I just want to make sure that in that process there is space, that there's communication, or at least there is a liaison from SAB that is in communication with legal on some of those technical pieces. Because again, we don't have anybody speaking to the subject matter expertise of the of the sustainability. Advisory board. So I just want to make sure that they are they have an opportunity to answer some of those technical questions, whether it's through communication with Kathy, which is through legal, but there needs to be some there needs to be that collaborative piece there. Thank you. Does that um, provide direction enough for staff to get going? Okay. Anything else you need? Must. No. Okay. I think we're good. All right. So we're um, going to move forward. The staff will be bring back a draft ordinance and then we'll start working it with it from that. Okay. Got it. Thank you. All right. Can I just give a shout out? Thanks, Kathy. But also, I wanted to say I noticed in your slide there you said there's no KP on a waste reduction. I'm going to be, I'm going to have that swirling around in my head. I don't know if you meant to slide that in there and give us something to think about, but, yes. but that's going to be in the back of my head. So thank you. All right, we're going to take a um, five-minute break. Uh, we've been here since five, so a little break here, and we'll be back. Mm -hmm.
from government and direct staff as appropriate. Commissioners, um, Tony Wheeler, city attorney. We, staff doesn't have a presentation planned. This was an item that the, question, the commission requested be returned for discussion in January. You last discussed this in August of 2022. So, um, you know, we have sort of provided some background materials in the agenda report, but this really is an opportunity for the commission to have a discussion about um, what, if any, changes it wants to consider and, and what steps or what you'd like staff to do next. Okay. So who would like to start this off? Questions or discussion? Yes, questions. I guess I have a couple questions. Randy, on, on, on the timing of possibilities, um, if we, and there would be one option, which is to have a special election at some point. Do you have any feel if I was trying to do some math in my head? I mean, I, could we even do a special election in the spring to have it on the fall this November's ballot, or are we way too close to that? I think that would be very difficult, and that yeah. the filing date is early June, so we'd have to have everything done and all the ordinances in place and the vote be done and tallied and everything before we could do that. So I think it would be extremely difficult to get yeah. that done before that period. Of time. I think there's a, I forget the, the you know, the, the longest period, which is overseas military. You have to have the ballots done in a place and mail like 60, 75 days. Right. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe we could. Yeah. In fact, it may not even be difficult. I think it would probably be impossible to get the special election held and get everything in place before the filing dates uh, in June. Um, but then we, we would have the option about putting it either, if we do something, put it in either on this November's ballot or the following you know, presidential ballot, correct? That's correct. It could be either November election, either November of 2023, because there's municipal elections, then it could be on that ballot, or it could be November of 2024. Yes. In either case, they'd go into effect in November 25 would be the earliest. And in either event, the first election of the new government would occur in November of 2025. Yes. And again, just because I've been asked the question, we can't hold a special election to elect commissioners at some different time. <laughs> Then the then the November of twenty five or the November twenty three. Right. No, we could not. Yes, could not. that they're set for that date by statute and by our ordinances. Yeah. Yeah. But is uh, just to follow up, it is up to us if we want to hold that, have that ballot question either this year or next year. Correct. That's correct. Okay. Yes. Those were my only clarification questions. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what the general cost is of, of putting a measure like that on? If it is part of a regular election that the county is holding, um, there would be no additional expense. Mr. Sellers, do you have any questions? No, the ones I was going to pose, Commissioner Finkel, I have already entertained. Okay. If there's no more questions, then we um, will move it to public comment. <laughs> Hello, I am Dustin Stumlingbear, and I was on the committee regarding 
the expansion of the city commission. That was last year, wasn't it? Holy cow, it seems like a long time ago. And I've always supported larger government bodies, uh, all forms of governance. It just allows more people to feel like they can engage with their uh, representatives. And in this particular case, I really would support our city commission becoming districts. And I would say go balls to the wall and up it to 10. I know that might seem extreme, but for the amount of people, like when we first turned to a city commission of like this from our old city council, there was only 24,000, the nearest, the most recent census record at that time, there were 24,000 residents of Florence. That was 8,000 people per city commissioner. The next it got changed. It was about the same population size, uh, not city, but, you know, 8,000 to 9,000 per commissioner. Now it's closer to 20,000 per commissioner. And that seems like a lot, and it is. And I'm not saying you guys don't do hard work. You respond to me all the time. I can reach out to you. But I know I'm an anomaly. I know I come here regularly. I know, I've, I mean, I've run for this office. So I know I can talk to all of you. And not everyone feels that way. They feel, having talked to a lot of people throughout the community, that there's a bridge between them and the city commission. There's a bridge between them and the county commission that they just feel like they can't cross. I know that's not the case because I know all of you very well. And you're very personable people. You've, you've listened to us all the time, even if we don't agree. Um, you listen. And I think that this is something that could be addressed if we are in districts. And it's also easier for people to run. There's a lot of money and a lot of effort that goes into a running for an at-large position on this city commission. It's a hell of a lot of work. Not everyone can put that kind of work in. Not everyone can do that kind of fundraising. And that shouldn't bar them from being able to serve their community in this capacity. But if we go to districts, that mitigates that by a large scale. If you go to six districts, as what was proposed by the committee, that certainly is helpful. But I say 10 because 10,000 people, on average, you only about have about a third of those voting in city elections. That reduces your amount of time that you have to put in, the amount of money that you have to raise to try and get that voice out. And so I'm looking at this not only from a voter engagement perspective, but also from candidates running and the variety of candidates we can get running for office in that setting. And I just wanted to thank you for this opportunity to do, discuss this again. Thank you. Okay, other public comment? Hi, um, this is Chris Flowers. Um, I sent in public comment and I've just been thinking about this. I mean, I've been following this issue a lot. It's one, one of my big issues I've been following. And just when I think about this, I ask why, why are we doing this? And I hope you do too. And you, and I'm, I'm just curious what your response would be. And I, and when I ask why, I think it, my response would be to increase voter turnout and to get that turnout to mirror how our population looks. And I, I just wanted to talk about who I think are the, right now, how our system works. I think the biggest losers are um, college students and renters. And 
I think y'all should be thinking of, about ranked choice. Like if we do go to districts, you should also be thinking about ranked choice because the primary happens the first Tuesday in August, but that's when renters are moving and the college students aren't even here. So, and you talk about like Democrats talk about how the Republicans, they're trying to make it harder to vote by mail and to use drop boxes. And I think I read a story that that's one of the Republicans issues is to um, crack down on the cheating Biden Democrats, you know, trying to steal the elections. But the, my point is, if they're going to crack down absentee ballots and using drop boxes, how is it fair that the people, the renters that who who play their places, they're not sometimes they're not ready till the fifth or more in August. So they're out of town staying somewhere else because they currently don't have an apartment in Lawrence. How is it fair that they have to drive back to Lawrence to vote? Because according to Democrats, and I agree with this, I'm I'm not trying to disparage Democrats, but they're they also claim, well, it's not fair in these urban places where they only have a few um, polling places and there's like two lines are two or three hours long and if we're going to be saying well this is a problem at state and federal levels how is our college students and our renters having to like having a primary when they're not in town how is that fair if these other issues are a problem at the state and federal level um so i definitely think you if you're going to districts i mean and how would that how would it look like if we went to districts because if you look at um our state and and um county it's only like three or four maybe I mean, sometimes it's only one. So you could definitely go to ranked choice if it's only three and four and skip the primary and just do ranked choice in the fall. Thank, Thank you, Chris. Other public comment um, on Zoom? No, Mayor. Okay, bring it back to the commission for discussion. I guess I can... I can jump in. I mean, um, I was one of the folks who wanted to bring this back. I guess. Now, I mean, I, I do support or did support do support the the six. I mean, the recommendation, the six, and the direct elected mayor. We obviously don't have the votes to pass that, so you know, I'll say that. Um, but then, um, unless some people have changed their mind, I, I don't know that we have the votes for that. Um, you know, I know back last time we discussed this. Um, kind of at the at the last last minute um, we had a couple other options um, and one of those um, was you know full districts two at large and direct elected mayor and you know for all the reasons I support six I think that setup would be um, better than the system we have no, now um, for some of the same reasons Dustin said and, and the committee said that I do think districts um, do offer the chance of, of better representation with the four and the two and the one. I think you have, um, you know, I do think that, you know, on one hand, you could say it doesn't go as far as the six districts. On the other hand, you can say it, it um, reduces the concerns some people have about having everybody in a district. And so I do think it's a, it's a, it's better than the, the system we have now. I think both having, going to seven and the direct elected mayor and the districts would all be a step in the right direction. 
Um, you know, I'd be very interested in in getting that an ordinance drafted that looked like that, bring it back. As we can tell, we, we didn't get a lot of public comment tonight because no one knows what we're talking about. So I think we have to have an ordinance that someone that has something in it for them to come out to react to. Um, so I, I'd like to see coming back with an ordinance of, of uh, four districts, two at large, um, and um, a direct elected mayor and, and get some feedback on that ordinance. A couple other minor details in my thought process is we could put it on either ballot, but I think we'd put it on, I think we'd be better off putting it in the presidential ballot. One, because you have more people voting and two, because you'd be closer in time to actually, um, you know, having the election. If you did that in the presidential election, if we put it on the ballot, you know, this November, we have, you know, two years, I mean, a year and a half before anyone was running under it. So, um, and, and then lastly, I would say, I think if we we did head in that direction and we thought there was some support for that, you know, I'd want to consider also making a change where we elected people to four-year terms so that when we had that next election, we could elect three more people to four-year terms and we wouldn't have anyone getting a, a two-year term at that point. So just a couple thoughts that's that's kind of the direction i'd like to see and again see what see what feedback we have on that particular option because we haven't had we've not put that option out for for public feedback so you said um have four-year positions everybody have a four-year yeah. starting with um if it passes starting with um when it's put on the ballot ballot so it's when it's put on the ballot in 2024 or 2023 is that what you're saying no what i guess i was saying is and again, I'd like to look see what this looks like. But if if we if we don't change anything with the twenty twenty three election, when you, and then it, then it passes in twenty twenty four. When you get to twenty twenty five, you would have two commissioners with four year terms, one commissioner with a two year term, three new commissioners, and a directly elected mayor. Mm -hmm. So one of those people running in the twenty twenty five election right. would have to get a two-year term right. so that they were up in 2027. Right. Whereas if in 2023 we elected three people to four-year terms, which I think we could change without changing the ordinance, then when we got to uh, not change the ordinance, without having to have a vote. Correct. We can change the terms right. by just amending the ordinance. Yeah. So that when the city code. Yeah, exactly. So then when we got to 2025, we could just have the three new seats up as well as a direct elected mayor, and no one would be running for an odd seat. It'd be my thought process on that. What it wouldn't have to be that way, but that's my thought process. What if it doesn't pass? It doesn't pass, then you have okay. people with four-year terms, which, again, I'm not a... One of the reasons I like going to seven is I like... I don't like two-year terms. That's one of my... I think two-year terms have historically not been useful to the commission. I, I think we have a lot of turnover and so I, I think at the worst case, we get rid of the two-year term, which isn't a bad thing. I could go with you on a journey like that um, if I just had some clarifications. The four districts I get, um, but we can come back to that because I think you've got some comments on that too. The two at large, the only thing I would want to make sure is we don't run into the same problem we do now, which is having people running against each other. 
So as long as it was set up that it was a seat, which we could do now, by the way, but that it was a seat and people would run for seat A and seat B, then that would solve our... Well, and again, I'd look to Randy to see if this is possible, but I mean, I think you would have, in 2025, you'd have, you know, two districts and an at-large. Right. And in 2027, you'd have two districts and at-large. Okay. So the at-large would never run against each time. other. Yeah. Okay, I got you. The, the only trick I don't, I don't know is if you have three sitting commissioners with a four-year term, I guess in theory, if all three of them lived in the same district, we'd have a problem where we, well, we could, but we create the district. So we could make sure that didn't happen, I guess. Theoretically, yes. We have to draw the district so that there is an equal number of people so that everybody's equally represented yeah. or at least a reasonable facsimile there has to be close. Yeah. We have to be, you know, so that everybody is equally represented, but we could work that out. Yeah. Some of those so, I, so I think you'd put, you know, again, ask this question, could you put two people, if you have four people, you have three people elected to four-year terms and we, in this past, could you say A goes to district A, B goes to district B and C gets the at large. Theoretically, yes, we could do that and, and set it up that way. Yeah. And again, that way you'd never have the two at large people running against each other. And again, if you didn't give people four year terms, you would end up having an election in 25 where two at larges will running against each other. Now you could change that. One of them would get a two year term and one of them would get a four year term probably would be one option, I guess. But I like the idea of having the three people with four-year terms and then just putting them in those three and then having an election. And that way, that large people never run against each other. You only you, you, And then the mayor would be running at large, obviously, but they wouldn't be running against the commission post. Yeah. Yep. And then, the, oh, sorry, then the only clarification on the, the third part of that, the mayor part, is that we um, actually distinguish what, what the duties of the mayor are previous to us throwing that on the ballot because i think that's really important creating the balance of of power and influence of the mayor, mayor. i suggested last time that the mayor perhaps um be uh non-voting unless in, in the case of a tie and i think that would be very um beneficial um you know certainly running the meetings being there in the event of a tie doing appointments all the things that they do now would be um a great way to balance that influence and, and Randy, I assume we could obviously do that, right? I mean, that correct. Yes, that would be a, 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 a what they call a weak mayor, where the, they would only vote to break a tie. So you could have a strong mayor that would always elect or vote on all options, and then it's it's what they call a weak mayor. So yes, and a council type of government. What you're discussing here with is is very similar to what Olathe has. It's a modified mayor council manager form of government is what they call it. There is a statutory, there is some statutes that do exist that set that up. We have to look at those a little bit, but yes. And we can always change the, the duties of the mayor to set it up however it was. Now that will be in the resolution. We'll have to set the terms, how it's gonna be set up, what the duties of the mayor and that, and that type of deal. That would be on the resolution that would then put it on the ballot. So. I like the idea of having non, somewhat non voting or voting in as in a tie situation only for the mayor. I like that idea. Yeah, I, I think it's exactly like it is in Olathe. I think they exactly have the four two one as as well. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 fine with everything Commissioner Finkelnai said, and also uh, Commissioner Shipley in terms of the mayor. Um, 
Commissioner Sellers. I think Commissioner Finkelday covered a lot, and I do appreciate um, Commissioner Shipley bringing up those concerns, I know, in regards to conversations around a directly elected mayor, and I think there's some opportunities here to create that delineation so that there are possibilities for the mayor to create sustainability have and have sustainability in message and then in their vision for the, for the city and how that pairs with the strategic plan. Um, I think as we start to parse that out, you know, I can I can support that. Um, I I've always from the beginning supported a hybrid model. Um, there's equitability in that. I mean, expanding it to even bigger. You know, a hundred years ago we had twelve folks on the commission and a lot more black and brown people, and then something happened, and we can make hypotheses about what that was that caused that regression, but. Um, I think six is a good, knowing that we have a mayor that will only vote in ties, I think will uh, expand and give us more voice. Um, the at-large piece creates an opportunity of a step in the towards equitability um, in our community and in getting those out to vote. And, and, that, and actually, it's a strategic piece. Um, and I think that just comes with, um, that'll come with time as people know how to navigate that. Um, I am of the mind to support this being on a um, presidential election simply because we do, I, I think that that's an equitability piece because we still know that turnout is not always the same in municipal as it is um, in general or presidential elections. So something of this magnitude as form of government, um, I think to Mr. Flowers' point, as we don't want to suppress the votes and the voices of college students with primaries and whatnot, this is kind of using that same vein to say presidential elections get more people turned out and it puts them, it puts it on their their mind. Um, I would love for staff to bring back that technical change. Um, as far as terms, that was something that I opposed to legal. We've always discussed it. Um, as someone who is, is living that, I hope I've been of value to the commission being in my second year. Um, but it does. It, you know, I, I think someone that that comes in third, a commissioner that it placed third is no less. There's for a second. That's all politics. That's all political, not politics. That's all political. And so one's work that they did to become to place third is no different than the work that was done to place first or second. And so for us to what seems like punish them for that um, is is we that is something I can we should have changed a long time ago. So, and I know Commissioner Shipley has shared those supplements. And so we have the ability to do that now. We don't have to wait for a ballot initiative. So I'd like for that to come back in front of us. I'd like to see the language around the hybrid 4-2 and um, having that on the ballot in 2024. So I do appreciate Commissioner Finkelstein kind of coming out the gates hot with that. So thank you, sir, for leading that discussion. If I could also, thank you. I, if I could follow up with that, just to, my only other discussion I would like to have about districts, and I think Commissioner Finkelday, you might have some expansion on that too. 
Um, something brought up last time, which I didn't even think about to the very last minute. And then a member from a neighborhood pointed out, um, you know, our community is, has divided itself a little differently, um, you know, neighborhoods, core neighborhoods, however you want to call it. And some of them may take a great deal of exception to being divided by one of these districts. So I think that'll be an important question, even though, um, I don't personally think this is a big deal, uh, you know, partly, you know, only two people showed up tonight. I just don't think people are as worried about this as we are. Um, but I'm, you put it on a ballot and let people make the decision. I'm not going to interfere with that. I'm, I'm going to go on this journey with you. But I do think that could be something that would, disra would derail this. So do you have any thoughts about how we could look at districts without establishing them in advance? Well, you have a thought. I was going to say, I mean, well, one, I'd say we, we watched the county go through a process, but they statutorily had to have it done by January 1st after the election. We don't have that requirement. We would have to have it done in time for a June, you know, for a filing deadline in June. So we'd have more time to work through that process than the county did. So I, I would say that on one hand. Um, second, I would say, it, you know, I think you'd probably do this after the 23 election, but before the vote, I, I well, I'd say this. I don't think you could bind a future, I mean, may, you know, say for sure that this is what the districts are going to look like. But if you have five commissioners on, you know, that are elected in 23, all of them are going to be there in, in early 25. You know, there's a pretty good chance that if the five of them came up with some districts before the vote, not that you couldn't change your mind, but it would be, you know, you could consider that, um, doing that in advance. I would say I don't think you could make some promise that no neighborhood would be broken up because the law doesn't allow that. The law requires contiguous and same size. And, and those are the two things we have to follow. We do have to follow precinct lines. That's and precinct. Thing, yes, that's one thing that the statute requires is that when we draw it, we do have to follow precinct lines. So that for the county and the voting purposes, we don't split up a precinct. So that's a that's a great point too. Those some neighborhoods they don't follow precinct lines, <laughs> and you know you might be able to get the whole thing in one, but you might not. So I don't think we could promise that in advance. But those are my thought, my initial thoughts. Maybe I don't know if you, you're about to jump Yeah, in. I mean, that's sort of along that line about any future commissions as well as, you know, just the idea that, you know, you can definitely look at neighborhoods to try to see how they um, would divide up, but but we just couldn't guarantee it. So oh, yeah. You definitely want to consider that. No. I just wanted to point it out if, if we're all kind of in this agreement, just to point out something that might detract from this. Yeah. Or... If we, if we do want to go forward with putting on the ballot, think about how we can um, communicate with neighborhoods about that. And Commissioner Simply, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm glad Randy spoke to it because that's what exactly I was going to say. I mean, precinct, we have to look at it from, a pre from, the, from the perspective of contiguous and precincts. And that has to be the messaging. And this kind of disrupts that. Then, you know, the idea of the, you know, there's a potential for neighborhoods to be 
whole neighborhood associations or whatnot in one district, and that just may not be the case. And so whether an organization or an association sees that as good, bad, or different, that's out of our hands. That's state statute. So I mean, I can see an argument. I don't, for something to be derailed because of, because of, of that, I, I would have, you know, that concerns me because that's taking a very superficial, um, I, I, that, that's a very superficial argument for something as deep and rich as representative government and how we ensure that that is equitable and accessible to as many as possible in our community. Maybe, but also districts don't necessarily do what we think districts do. So if those, you know, it's not my feelings, it's about what those neighborhoods or those associations who have um, established themselves through a great deal of work, how they feel, it's not about my feelings. Um, If they feel like they're represented right now in the situation we're in, then yeah, they can vote against it. Um, if you, if you think that. that's petty, that's fine. But I'm not here to question what 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 those groups do because what they do has been effective. I think for some of those groups, and what we also have to look at is some of those groups have been very effective in pushing a one-sided agenda, but it may not be the agenda of the collective. So um, having grown up in a district and seeing the power of the collective in a district I, su- I support that, but that's also coming from a community that had concentrations of populations. Exactly. So it, that, yeah. that, so I, I understand that doesn't always, tr- that doesn't necessarily transfer here, but we also have to look at it that voices, BIPOC voices are diluted. And we, that's the task force said that. So, and sometimes in within those communities and in those associations and in those neighborhoods, Voices are not always heard. And so maybe having a district could bring that out. It could elevate that even more. Or it may have the the adverse. I get that. But I I you know, I'd like yeah, to see, I, I, I'd, I'd you, like to be more more optimistic, <laughs> be more optimistic in this case than, than pragmatic, though. But I, I I definitely understand and hear where you're coming from. So it sounds like we've got um, consensus. So let's move um, to, we're looking at four district positions, two at-large positions for commissioners, four years Mm -hmm. each, and then an elected mayor, four year, which would be only, would only vote in a tie-breaking situation. Is that? Would maintain. to maybe put some of those other things about the mayor that the tax task force came up That's, with. And, yeah. Well, they just left everything the way it was. Does that make sense? Kind of left that up to us. Yeah. So it, what the task force came up with was basically what's in the city code. Yeah. Currently. yeah. So it's, you know, appointments and, and, you know, represent the city at conferences and things like that. And we had consensus on putting this on in 2024 is what I got. Yeah, 2024 and then sure. 2025. Okay. I think so to ensure like a, yeah. well, not ensure, but to hopefully get a higher voter turnout. And also on um, going ahead with the 2023 election and changing the terms to four-year terms. I think we'd want to see those together and have a talk about that. Yeah, I'd like I mean, to talk. There'll be a different ordinance, right. but we could 
put them together. I'd like to see how that looks. Yeah, to see how that looks. The the to change the terms would be an ordinance. The resolution it would be a resolution to put it on the ballot. Yeah, that would have all that information that regarding the terms, the mayor, the duties, uh, and, and and that type of deal. But I guess I, I I think what we we do have to decide. Correct me if I'm wrong, Randy. I mean the. If we, the resolution would read differently if we have two people with two-year terms and one with a, a two-year term, right? Because you'd have to describe what the steps are. Correct. Right. So we, may we have to ask to describe how we're going to place people into districts yeah. and things like that as well in the resolution, so that that's all known up front. So we either have to ask Randy to bring us two resolutions to look at that have two different things. We need to direct them to bring us one, you know, that has the assumption that everyone has four years or the assumption that we stay the same. Now we don't have to approve it, but when you see it, we want to see what it looks like. So I guess my preference would be to see one that has with the assumption that there's three people with four year terms. We might not like it, but, but, but that's the one I'd, I'd like to see, but I don't know if that's the, at least three of us, want to see that right and if we do go to the change that to everybody to having a four-year term we would need to have that ordinance passed and in in effect before june 1 so that everybody who right. files for an office knows that the top three vote getters are going to have four-year terms right. correct okay does that sound reasonable it sounds fine mr sellers does that sound reasonable yeah i'd like to know when Randy, when do you think that you can circle that back to us? When would you like it? Uh, other than oh, the third week, in, other than the third week in February, other than the third week in February, <laughs> we just need enough time to make sure we have opportunity to talk about it and before June first, right? Yes. Obviously, yeah. way before that. If you think you can have it before you before the third week of February, I think that would be wonderful. <laughs> I will try or have it. I will try the second week of February or the first week in March. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I, I will know enough time in advance what, whether it's going to happen the second week of February. So latest first week of March, mm -hmm. hopefully right. earlier. How's that sound? That sounds good. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> All right. Ready to move on? We're now into commission items. Does anybody have a commission item? I kind of did. Oh, go ahead. You go. Say real quick. No, I was just going to say real quick. I don't, it's not necessarily a commission item, but if I could entertain that I'm, while I am virtual, Randy is in the building and I feel like that's a conspiracy. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're one and the same, one of the. <laughs> Maybe um, this next is time, Randy. Yes. Um, I've been holding this in my pocket since we uh, had the went to the to the convention um, in in at the convention center in Missouri. Um, I one of the um, uh, one of the groups I went to was about um, uh, railroad uh, relationships with with municipalities, and it was a pretty spectacular meeting. They had um, at least one of the top two. Um, administrators of all of the um, big railroad companies there in person. Um, and they were, they were making some pretty ambitious um, promises to be 
much better at communicating with municipalities uh, owing to the fact that there's some money for things like, uh, you know, the change of at grade uh, railroads or removing them. There's a bunch of money. They were kind of talking about those issues. So what I wanted to bring up and, and Diana, I know you're on your way, but um, so this will fall to Brandon. Um, you've done, I know, a little uh, research with BNSF about whether we could um, make Liarda into a park, park, quote unquote. Um, and I know when you, I, you sort of reported to us that when you spoke with them, they said, well, we don't really sell land. I just wanted to point out, we don't need them to sell us the land. Um, we can still operate a park on their land no differently than we do with the Army Corps of Engineers. So I didn't know if that might be a different discussion. And when I look, especially at their, you know, their goals, you know, they have diversity, equity, inclusion goals too. It may be that we would explain this story to them and they would want to do it. Um, so I just wondered if we might be able to kick that back and have a different discussion and not be about land sales, but but about how we could... I mean, ultimately, we want to tell a positive story about their railroad. Like we, we want to tell a good story, um, and, and and how that affects our community, our Latino community. So I just wanted to kick that back um, and and put that in a place. I know it doesn't match a KPI exactly, but it certainly fits in with our strategic plan of making people feel welcome at home. So um, I'm sorry you won't be able to do that, but I have every confidence that Brandon can. So. Any other commission items? Commissioner Sellers, commission item? Nope. Yeah, I, I do have one. Um, I brought up in December about the possibility of putting together a program under the NRA, which is a Neighborhood Revitalization Act, for um, potential tax incentives for property owners to upgrade, maintain their house. Um, I know other communities have this, and I would like to, um, if, with the commission's permission, to have staff start working on what that would look like. Maybe start out with um, having them research other cities that have these programs and how what they look like and potentially what it would look like for us if, if we did something like that. Um, and I would also add, add on to that, um, just to look at, I'm not saying it be, is the potential to, potential to have uh, possibly tax incentive for property owners to accept vouchers. I don't know if that's acceptable, but I would at least like to see it talked about. But, wait, you, you, what was that last piece? Yeah, the voucher program, as you know, we've been trying to encourage folks to, especially landlords, to take um, vouchers is whether or not there could be something involved that we could provide some level of incentive for if property owners accept the vouchers. At least have a discussion about it. Mm, I'd be interested in a discussion. Um, I'm a little concerned as... And, and no offense to you, Mayor, the fact that you you've brought it to question as a recent HUD voucher, um, as a, as a landlord who has recently decided to accept uh, HUD vouchers, it kind of puts you in, my opinion, in a weird conflict. So um, I, I, it's interesting that you would bring that to attention, knowing that we've heard so much about what is currently being done in that capacity. And I think there needs to be a bigger discussion based on what I heard from the public hearing um, on the understanding around vouchers and that HUD vouchers are not the same as 
other vouchers that agencies provide, which is in the form of an assistance. So I think there's a little bit of change mix up there. I'm so I'm gonna. I just have a little bit of angst with that. I'm not opposed to having the discussion. I think it needs to be part of a, glo a more bigger discussion. Um, under, I would say probably under a strong and welcoming neighborhoods presentation mm -hmm. and maybe, um, so I would put that there. Your mm -hmm. NRA um, item piques my curiosity. I would like to see that maybe brought back by staff in one of the outcome presentations. So I don't know if you were thinking that would fall up under a partnership with strong welcoming neighborhoods and economic prosperity or solely economic prosperity. So did you have an idea as far as which out when you say staff, I'm thinking outcome team. So is there a specific outcome team that you have in mind that would drive that work? Well, I think it definitely means um some of our strategic plan ideas, especially in safe and um, welcoming neighborhoods. I'm sure there could be other areas. Um, at this time, I, I don't, I'm not picking a certain area that needs to go under. I think I would leave that up to staff to take a look at it and to see where it best fits within our strategic plan. And I, and I would disagree. I would say, I think staff would want us to be able to direct them as where, you, where we see that. If you're looking at it from, I think there's a little bit of a cross section there that you have the incentive piece because that's it's kind of economic, but it's more housing. So just as we're processing through it and you know, just at first bat, what do you where do you where would you feel comfortable with it going? Economic prosperity or strong welcoming neighborhoods? I think it, it crosses both both um, areas for sure. So again, but I'm just asking for staff. I'm I'm just asking for staff to take a look at this first look at it and to see what sort of programs are out there at this point in time uh, and whether or not, I mean, what could it potentially look like for Lawrence? And then we can look at um, and having a more in-depth conversation about where that goes. So I, would, I, would, I, would, I would quickly propose that it goes to strong welcoming neighborhood to that outcome team. I guess I would say I'd leave it to staff to decide, but I think economic development, because Britt understands NOAs yeah. and we use NOAs already, and this would be a, a specific yeah. type of an NOA. So I think personally, it seemed like to me, Britt would be the one in, in economic development would be the one who would come back with the most knowledge. But I, I mean, I guess I'd leave it to staff to make that decision. Yeah. You know, I have, you know, um, Mayor, after you've brought that up, I've I've looked more into Baldwin and how they're they're using it in Baldwin. And I know I've talked some to the the county staff, and they've got a pretty good system going there in, in Baldwin, mm -hmm. and and understanding how that works. And it's gaining popularity there. And I've talked to a few folks in Baldwin who have been pretty um, excited about the impacts it's had in Baldwin. So I, mean, I do think we have a lot of, you know, in even in this community, we have. We can see how it's, we, we have resolutions to see how it's done. We have a, a county, you know, who knows how to run the NRA part. And so, I mean, I, I would also suggest we look at what Baldwin did as a starting point as opposed to just, yeah. you know. Um, but then second, I would say, you know, um, I did I did watch um, in some, you know, the, the, the uh, housing, we'll listen to the housing, uh, um, discussion i guess and it was brought up in that meeting about um 
possibly doing vouchers as a base, a voucher based NRA to encourage vouchers or an economic incentive as opposed, someone brought that up as an op, you know, as opposed to requiring the um, ha having that as an option. And so I do think that's something I'm interested in at least getting the answer to, maybe not separately, but maybe as part of this discussion. Yeah. And that might lead into something I'm going to ask when we get to the same Andrew report on future agenda. But, um, yeah. you know, I think I'm interested in hearing the answer to that question. Yeah, my purpose would to leave it up to staff, to Craig, to figure out where that would that information would be best come from, and then from there we can decide. I'd be interested in hearing that, especially with the aspect that Commissioner Finkel I brought about that might encourage mm -hmm. um, landlords to participate in the program a little bit. Yeah. Mayor, if I may, um, that item was pretty clear. We had a lot of consensus on, but we, we moved quickly. I apologize. I didn't ask earlier on this follow-up to this conversation with the railroads is, do we have consensus that we're wanting staff to spend time looking into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm fine with that. Yeah. yeah, I just want to make sure that we had some. Yes. It, it went through parks and the, through the parks and recs advisory board, and it just kind of stalled. So, mm -hmm. but thank you is for supporting that. that. Staff could. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll we'll continue to have conversations with the railroad, and hopefully, they will be looking at things a little differently. Okay, thank you. So, is that clear, Sherry? Yes, thank you. Everything's clear. Any other commission items? All right, we're on to um, reviewing the city manager. <clears throat> uh, no, I'm sorry. We're on to um, reviewing future agenda items. That is in the city manager. Oh, this is the city manager's report. Yeah, the entire city manager's report. Um, so, you know, we listened and rebalanced and um, we might have a, a, a nice closure here tonight time. And it looks like um, the balance out on January 17th, we had some people take some stuff off. So we are trying to get the balance. Also, um, we, we did remind um, our team to populate the further out dates. Um, and we've had some discussion about that recently. So um, hopefully you'll see a better balance there and we can we cannot uh, hit 11 o'clock too, too right. many other times. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, the other thing I would just comment is um, I was doing a little bit of calculation and 15 years of meetings um, is hundreds of meetings. And though this is the last paid meeting, you're welcome <laughs> in time. That's, that's a lot of time she's been in this room doing this with a, a lot of people. So just again, putting that. Small compared to the time she spends behind the scenes making sure things get done. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank you, Diane, so much. I I did have a quick question on on, on future agenda or a little related to that. I'm just curious, um, looking ahead to to the discussion on Chapter Ten ordinance. I mean, what do we what, what do we think that's going to look like after listening to that? big meeting yeah. and and all the concerns and lots of people showing up i mean it, do we are we expecting a presentation where we've we've heard those questions and we're, and we're presenting answers before we get going or do we just say here it is again public comment i mean is there a do we have a plan for how we're going to present that and if so are we i kind of ask that because not so much to say how to do it but Maybe we have a discussion if if that's how we want to you know to proceed. I'm a little concerned it's going to be a free for all. <laughs> um, 
Well, the meeting that we had last Thursday was very well attended, as uh, if you've watched this the video, um, we had quite a bit of participation. Um, Kalina Coleman is supposed to be sort of summarizing the comments that we received and um, trying to provide a summary that will be available with the agenda items okay. on the 17th. We also are keeping track of the questions that were posed and are trying to develop a document that answers those questions also that will be ready on the 17th. But the ordinance that will come back to you will be the one that you saw in December because we haven't received any direction um, for any amendments. Um, so to the extent that there are members of the public that spoke last Thursday or on the 17th requesting various amendments, we, we will not have those ready because you know we'd, we'd wanna make sure that the commission is interested in entertaining those. Okay. But you'll be aware of what they are. <laughs> yeah, based on uh, who attended. If if new people show up, of sure. course, we wouldn't know that. Well, I appreciate that work. I was a little concerned we wouldn't have time to get all that ready for the 17th. So I appreciate that. We're, we're working really hard. <laughs> appreciate that. Okay. <clears throat> so we're on to calendar items. Uh, public, pub, I'm public. sorry, public comment on this item. Thank you. On Anybody on Zoom for public comment? No, ma'am. All right. Back up to here. And now we're on to calendar items. Anything that we need to talk about? There is a ribbon cutting on there. I'll draw your attention to for next week that says tentative because we don't have a definite for that. I don't know if that's something you all could look at at least. Maybe not answer tonight, but if on the it's tentative or none of us said we could do it? Um, I believe there's a... a yeah, this is the first one. Is it? Okay. Yeah. It doesn't say what it's... Well, I'll make sure I'll resend that to you all. Okay. I believe we had a confirmation and then it, it changed. So we'll get that sent back out. Thank you. Although I'm already at something like four. So... <laughs> yeah. It's all day. All right. Anything else um, that's all on the calendar? Items. Then we are move ready. move to adjourn. Second. Got to move to adjourn. First and second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Commissioner <laughs> Sellers. Nay. <laughs> Passes four to one. <laughs> Got that one, the one no vote in for twenty twenty three. There you go.